for episode 72. This episode is a collaborative episode with the Sonic Cloth podcast. Jamil from that podcast got in touch with me a while ago suggesting this this idea of taking a deep dive on iVoid Hangar Records, which is kind of amazing because I'd already written up notes ready for a future episode of this, so like, of course I was very on board. I've since gone out and checked out some of the Sonic Cloth stuff and his podcast is incredible. He has one of the kind of broadest music tastes of anyone I know. If you're more musically adventurous and want to try some uh, like other stuff, definitely go check out his podcast. It's not primarily a metal podcast. It's quite varied. So the episodes I've gone for have delved into realms of jazz. Um, actually, the episode he references in this, I would really advise listeners of this to start on. Uh, the Stay Flensed episode where he looks into the Flenser label, which is a kind of metal-adjacent label, I believe, like Death Heaven and a few other actual metal bands are on it, but it's a lot of that kind of stuff just off the kind of post-end of metal, so I think a lot of listeners might find that very interesting. He has a really brilliant style as well, like, um, as you'll hear from this episode. His, um, his tone is incredibly kind of relaxed and uh, engaging. I come across as kind of a bit of a bellowing oaf by comparison. But anyway, yeah, so we're we're sharing the release of this podcast. So I'm going to have a version in my feed and he's going to have a version in the Sonic Cloths feed. Uh, this, my version, I am doing what I usually do, especially in the more recent episodes of editing down the songs to like a kind of two, three minute clip. Whereas uh, the Sonic Cloth version is going to be playing the full track. I think there's about an hour difference in length for both of them. I'd say definitely if you like if you want the proper experience, go listen to it on the Sonic Cloth feed. That is like the superior version of it. But I thought I'd put out the the slightly condensed uh version on my feed just so you've got the option of either. But as I say, like that podcast is absolutely excellent, so please go check them out. And yeah, enjoy this episode. Uh apologies, it is an absolutely mammoth one. But I do think we get into a lot of interesting territories in it, and I, I do think it's going to be worth your time. Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cloth. What you just heard was a snippet of one of the nastiest riffs off of Isak Trillium's The Telleric Ashes of the Overth Immemorial Gods. <laughs> and if you're already confused and have your finger on the pause button, then uh, you know I, I totally understand, to be honest. Um, I don't want to mislead anyone here. Um, I'm kind of trying to clear the room out. <laughs> to, to be honest, but um, the, the reason we are is because we are going down a, a very deep uh, rabbit hole in this episode. We're really going off the deep end. Um, this podcast, Sonic Cloth, is finally plunging headfirst into the black pools of hallucinatory, psychedelic, utterly fucked up heavy metal. And as I've kind of forewarned before, this might be the point of no return where the Sonic Cloth just turns into a metal podcast. 
and uh, I'm totally content to lose the the 10 steady listeners that I do have. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't think that'll actually happen. But, you know, I like to, to dish out threats to listeners every every now and then. So for this episode, um, I thought that we needed a two man team to go down this rabbit hole. I am very stoked to have uh, a comrade in music podcasting, a fellow uh, metal maniac and someone who has turned me on personally to so much uh, interesting metal in the last couple of years. We have Phil of uh, Phil's Breakfast Metal podcast with us uh, live right now. How you doing, Phil? Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Thanks a lot for having me on. This is, yeah, a really exciting um, yeah, podcast idea. It's something I've been planning to do myself for a while. So when you, you hit me up with the idea of doing this, yeah, I was very on board. Yeah, the idea was it was floating around in both of our heads. We just needed to to make contact with each other basically yeah yeah well it's it's awesome to have you on this um i honestly couldn't think of a better person to kind of get into the weeds with um this this particular rabbit hole and so for this on this episode i'll tell you what we're gonna be doing here um we are doing uh kind of another record label expose um if you recall last time um Myself and Dan from the Create and Destroy podcast dug into the Flenser label. Um, and, and there was definitely some metal happening on that episode and in that label. But uh, this time is a bit different. We are going kind of full on LSD laced, kind of Lovecraft worshipping extreme metal. And, um, you know, we're, we're basically going to be uh, excavating the, a massive and intimidating catalog of one of the best and probably the most interesting metal label out there right now. Um, and the label is I Void Hanger. Um, and, and I've kind of titled this episode The Psychedelic Metal of I Void Hanger. Not to try and pigeonhole the label, but I think it's an appropriate descriptor for like at least a fair amount of the bands on the label. Um, not to mention the general aesthetic. Um, and, and I don't mean psychedelic in a musical sense where I'm referencing like psychedelic rock, like Pink Floyd or something like that, but rather this is like metal that's very tinged with a dark kind of psychedelia. Um, you know, a lot of esoteric themes, a lot of unorthodox stuff, a lot of the unknown. Uh, but before we get into talking about the label, the roster, and, um, Obviously, we'll be doing a joint playlist for this one um, of some of our some of Phil and I's favorite uh, I Void Hanger music. Um, I want to uh, talk to you, Phil, a little bit about you know what got you into extreme metal. How did your podcast come about? Kind of, kind of, what's what are your roots into into this weird world? Yeah, so um, I've, I'm sort of about thirty now, so I, I went through the the route a lot of people growing up in the early two thousands did of like getting into music through the terrible kind of Kerrang radio, new metal kind of rubbish, but very quickly progressed into weirdly latched on to like old thrash metal and from there got a love for like death metal, which is kind of like still my musical comfort zone. But in recent years, I've sort of more branched out, so I getting my head around black metal. And weirdly, as I got more into black metal, I got very into the kind of the avant-garde and experimental end of that and also of like death metal and progressive metal in general like my my music listening is primarily metal much like my podcast deals and that kind of stuff i i listen to bits and pieces outside of that but in the realm of metal i tend to have always um 
been drawn towards stuff that surprises me. I really, I really like um, any album which throws something I was totally not expecting, particularly into a sound I'm already kind of familiar with, which, um, yeah, is why like a label like this really um, appealed to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's, in listening to your podcast for a couple years now, that's, that's definitely... Um, that's definitely the angle I think is is metal that is going to surprise you versus kind of rehashes of like oh this band is not doing anything special but they're doing it well which you know there's time and place for that I think but um, you know the stuff that sticks with you like when these albums come out that do surprise you that are super different and then on top of that it, it sticks with you um, it be, those I tend to find those are the ones that like become the all time classics you know in, in, in your own book um, so then, how how did the how did the podcast come about? Like, what what what? Oh yeah, it's so the the podcast was basically uh, born out of me and my friend Rob, who doesn't do it so much for me as he used to, but he was on like a lot of the early episodes. We formed a band together, and what ended up happening was the two of us would jam in my basement, and after that, we'd just sit around having a few beers, discussing metal, and we realized like we were having these quite kind of in-depth conversations about like the history of given albums and spending long periods of time just analyzing one thing we were listening to we thought maybe there's there's some mileage because we both had a similar enough overlap in taste some mileage in delving into some of these albums in a podcast form we thought there'd be some fun to be had with that and it's a it's been a really nice kind of way of reaching out to people with similar music tastes to us as well because because we both kind of lent towards that slightly weird end of metal, even to, like circles of our own metal friends locally, we didn't quite have that overlap in taste. So it's been a really fun way of reaching out to people around the world who, yeah, are open to slightly stranger territories. And yeah, the the kind of format we ended up settling on was that sort of taking an album and kind of obsessively dissecting it over a course of 10 or so minutes rather than the kind of more short form that a lot of other shows tend to go for yeah i could definitely relate like i have uh, you know a couple friends i can nerd out on music with as a whole and then you know i'll listen to a really out there heavy album and not really have anyone to talk about with and that's kind of where i I, I open up my podcast app and do some searches to try and basically have a non-direct conversation with the person who's covering like this particular style of music. Um, so, you know, they're like, they're like little, little uh, metal podcast friends, you know, you don't get to actually directly <laughs> engage with them, but at least you get to hear someone else kind of like uh, expressing some, some thoughts about this, you know, difficult uh, <laughs> piece of music that 99% of the world is not even remotely interested in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Well, what, what, what's the uh, breakfast? What's the breakfast aspect of your podcast? Oh, so the Phil's Breakfast Metal was a title born out of um, because, as, as I said, like at that point in my life, I was getting into more weirder and weirder metal. I had a lot of flatmates who were sort of like slightly into metal at the time, but they referred to the kind of music I listened to. People were like, "Oh, what? Did you listen to like really heavy extreme stuff?" And I, they're like, "No, it's just kind of weird. Like you'll come down in the morning and there'll be Phil's Breakfast Metal playing, and what that <laughs> meant at the time was essentially like." I was listening to probably something like Sigh or The Meads of Asphodel. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it's not necessarily heavy, but it's it's confusing and extreme in its own its own regard. 
And yeah, yeah. We, me and Rob felt at the time that was a cool, uh, a cool descriptor for the style of music <laughs> we were trying to cover. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Those are those are good breakfast bands right there. I think. Good, good way to <laughs> yeah. start. Good way to start the day. Total, mi- yeah, total exactly. mind fuck. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, um, maybe we can uh, get into the label a little bit before we hop into these tracks. Um, and, and I think we probably both, you know, came into this with some knowledge of the label. But, um, you know, both of us also were like researching and talking to each other before this. And there's not a ton of information out there about this label as far as I can tell. Um, and I don't think it's because it's an unpopular label i think it's a label that's growing a lot in popularity but um i think things are kind of cryptic and hidden from plain sight when it comes to i void hanger um which seems very much uh in line with the vibe of i void hanger um and uh but you know the basics from what i can gather the label was started in 2008 um it was uh started by uh an italian guy named luciano uh, uh gaglio um, who has done a lot of writing about hard rock and heavy metal. So kind of like metal journalist turning to like a curator of music. And I didn't know this. Maybe you knew this. Do, are you familiar with like where the name of the label came from? No, I've, I discovered this through interviews and yeah, yeah, I, the, I was completely unaware of it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a, it's a track from uh, Dark Throne's 2001 album. So Dark Throne is a like seminal, um, uh, black metal band second wave right yeah yeah so they came you know they came a bit a little bit after your venoms and your batteries and your celtic frost um but they're a long-standing band um they have a 2001 album called plague wielder um it's an album i've never listened to myself um this is kind of a, the mid-era of dark throne i fall off on I know a lot of their yeah, same here. <laughs> i know a lot of their early classic stuff i love that stuff and i actually really love like the last five, six, seven years of Dark Throne where they just became like a pure heavy metal band um, versus like a black metal band. So I, I went and listened to the track I would hang around. I don't know why I was expecting it to be like really experimental and insane or something, but it's it's like, it's not. It's just like a mid-paced, like grim, like kind of black metal rock and roll song. It was good. It was good. I liked it, but I was like, oh, I don't know. I, 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 maybe it's just, he just took the name because the, the name is so cool. Yeah, I think you said the. I think he. I mentioned something about liking that sort of the lyrical themes of the track. But yeah, I had the same reaction of I'd never heard Plague Wielder before. Like I, like I like a lot of early Dark Throne and some later, and I, I just haven't gone through their entire catalog at any point. But yeah, equally, I went into the track being like, okay, what experimental madness is this going to be? And actually, it's just a solid song, but it it's <laughs> yeah. cool title though. <laughs> yeah, and Dark Throne's not a, a metal band that's known for for experimenting either you know maybe in the maybe in the beginnings like their stuff was was quite um fresh um in terms of like the atmosphere that they created but um and and, and certainly like insanely influential band but not a band that's a band that's more into being orthodox and like reverent to heavy metal versus like oh let's throw like some horns in here and let's like get in some weird time signatures like no you're not getting that from dark throne (laughs) yeah um, so, uh, you know, outside of some interviews I read, were you, were you able to, to shed any other light on the label's origins uh, and that kind of thing? So so beyond that, the, the main thing I got, like, I found a couple of interviews on this. The main thing I got was it being this kind of 
spin-off of a sort of a larger label. A larger label I actually wasn't familiar with before. I, I don't know if I actually own anything anything from them. Um, was I forgot the name of it. It's ATMF, uh, Aeternius Terribrium Music Fundamentum. Sorry, rubbish at reading Latin, but yeah. Um, <laughs> who I think are, are more of a primarily black metal focus label. And uh, uh, Luciano was sort of um, a... I think he worked for them briefly and then was able to sort of go his own d- direction, but sort of under the general umbrella of this label. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I believe Eid Voihanger is almost like kind of a subsidiary or at least related entity. Even still to this day? Yes. Yeah, so um, okay. the thing, they like, again, I could be wrong about this, but the impression I got was that label's kind of in charge of, like, distribution and so on, mm. whereas I Void Hanger purely deals in the kind of, like, artistic element of the, the music he sort of curates and puts out. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And and and, and the I Void Hanger stuff, I mean, you can find any of this stuff on usually vinyl, cassette, CD... Um, it's all it's all readily available, but it it is like a lot of labels in which sometimes Ivoid Hanger will just take like the the physical release or it's just the digital release or the CD release. There's kind of can be those splits sometimes where a release can be kind of on three labels at the same time, depending on which format you're looking for. But the the rules we're operating in are if it came came out under any format on Ivoid Hanger, it's valid. So so what's your what's your take on like the level of experimentation that this label is known for? Uh, yeah, so the reason I sort of got into them, I think, in the first place was every time I found something on this label, it had at least some element of something new and exciting about it. Like, even, even like, researching this podcast where I've gone into, you know, well over, like, 40-odd albums from this label, everything had a spark of something different, something just slightly pushing the boundaries, even if it wasn't in the most, like, out-there format. Because... I would generally put a lot of the music from this label in the category of, like, avant-garde, but it's Mm. not at that, like, kind of extreme end of that. There's still, like, a a real level of, um, like, songcraft and, like, making a lot of catchy riffs as well in this, but it's just, it's always got an element of some kind of boundary pushing, and I think that's what he, he seems to look for in a lot of these bands. Also, like, very coherent feeling albums. All of them have a they always have quite a consistent energy throughout, at least for the, the ones I, I went through. Yeah, I would I would agree with everything there. The way I think about it is it's almost always the case that it's one one foot in head, like heavy metal, like history, like, you know, re- old history and, and recent. And then one foot in like I, I there's there's a compulsion to bring new things in, into this, uh, you know, genre that it, it, they all these artists have extreme reverence towards, you know? Um, and, and, and I think that there's no question that Ivoid Hanger is like the, the Luciano, the curator is like very selective in, in the roster and trying to eye bands that have a very unique sound. Um, you know, it can be a very warped and demented kind of sound, which I think is fair, uh, uh, for a lot of the bands that fall under here. But, um, you know, it isn't like you're saying, it's not purely avant-garde stuff. Um, the majority of the stuff is metal as fuck. Um, and I think we're predominantly dealing in three styles here for the most part. Um, you know, I think black metal is probably the most common one you come across. 
I would say that primary, like, it's kind of unfair to pigeonhole them like this, but primarily I do see them as a black metal label, even though they have much that, like, is well outside that realm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely plenty of death metal and, and doom as well. Um, and, and, and not, and it's not necessarily certain types of death metal either. You know, there, there, there's labels that just do, not only just do death metal, they do a particular style of death metal. Um, so, uh, this is, this is a, a very versatile label, I would say, so long as you're interested mm. in extreme metal on the whole and you're not kind of like tied to particular genres. Um, there, there, there was a good quote I, I found from, from Luciano, um, with, uh, nine circles. Um, one of the interviews that's out there, he said, when I select bands, I obey only to one rule. They must own a recognizable sound and personal approach to metal, especially when it's conveyed through a precise concept. I want to give voice to those underground artists that have really something to tell and with a vision so original or unique that risk to get unnoticed in a metal scene dominated by trends and generic sounds. So um, that that th- there's definitely a overarching uh, pickiness to uh, what gets put out on this label. And um, so, so, so another question is like, in sort of understanding I Void Hanger and understanding like the greater metal um, scene, um, what would you say are like the band's kind of most hope, high profile like artists or releases? So they're, they're an interesting label in that like sort of even going back looking through it, it seems like they like they've really exploded into the, the general consciousness in the, the last like year or so. I've seen mm-hmm. their stuff suddenly referenced. So, but it's often a lot of their kind of more long standing ones. So the ones I've heard. A lot of chattering about and this might just be the kind of groups i'm in um isoc trillium the the french one man like kind of avant-garde black metal project tends to tends to get a lot of attention and in a similar vein also uh spectral law and mayor cognitum who are all these these one man very um f- like driven focused kind of projects all of those i think they all started off on this label as well and around they're like fifth or so album they seem to have suddenly become very noticed another one i heard a lot of buzz about was um a quite an odd one uh which is like a debut for this project of neptulian maximalism yeah. um which the is the one that came uh, out this year yeah yeah it came out only yeah only a couple of months ago which is one that actually um i wouldn't even say sits in the realm of metal like i think they the the quote I got from it is uh, a variable lineup mixing drone with spiritual free jazz and psychedelic music, um, and it's it's a really interesting project, and I see why it's got attention. But I think a big part of it was for having an amazing album cover as much as anything, and that can be said for the the three bands I mentioned before. But yeah, those were the kind of the core of where I really started hearing a lot of buzz about this label. Yeah, I would agree with all of those. Um, the the other ones, like before I became you know indoctrinated into this label, um, e- Evangelist, I definitely had had no heard of that band and known that that they were like uh, a, a sort of abstract death metal band that was has a lot of attention and I think is on other labels now um, or has shuffled releases through other labels. The other one was House of Ebb. I know that that band mm-hmm. got has a fair amount of interest in the in the experimental metal world and I didn't actually didn't even realize until this episode that that was uh an Ivoid Hanger band as well 
But um, like you're saying, that Isak Trillium, especially with the 2020 release, it seems to be like kind of a breakout kind of thing for the label. And what so many of these bands have in common, besides incredible artwork, which is what you're saying, like the artwork just invites you in, into these albums it, um, on its own. But a lot of these, a lot of these uh, artists are one-person groups. So these are like artists that are brilliant. Like even if you're not into what they're doing, like they're multi-instrumentalists. They are handling the songwriting. And probably getting some assistance from from other like guest musicians and stuff like that, but it's uniquely kind of one one minds project. Um, and then the other thing is how prolific these artists are. Some of them put out like two albums a year. Um, you know, Isak Trillium I think has like put out an album every single year for the last three or four years, right? Yeah. So their entire five album discography came out in four years, in four which years. is yeah. Is, is incredible like work rate considering the kind of the breadth and scope of a lot of those albums yes yes i mean these we're talking about very epic epic releases here um that you would think would take absolute years to to put together and, may, and maybe it's just stuff that's just been sitting in the in the in the bank for a long time and it's just this this sort of steady releasing um was there a release that that got you in that got you into the label that sort of sucked you in from the beginning so it's interesting. They were a label I realised I'd sort of known about for a while, but through kind of odd um, odd releases for them that aren't so much their normal fare. So the first time I ever bought from My Void Hanger was um, Moss Upon the Skulls, Inventual Reverence, which is a, like it's one I never would have guessed an I'd Void Hanger release. It's kind of like a slightly more experimental version of Horrendous, that kind mm. of like atheist type tech death sound but with a few odd like clean vocal ideas thrown in in places it's a really cool album and again like aesthetically like very beautiful but yeah that was like the first one i got and it wasn't till a few albums later that i suddenly noticed i'd been returning to this band camp page quite a lot and i think the first one that stood out to me was uh like stood out to me as like i noticed oh it's this label again was panegyrist's debut album because it had that, its cover is done by the artist who does quite a few of the album covers for this label. And it's like a very, like, like clearly a, like a painted piece. Mm-hmm. And that was the point where I suddenly noticed, oh, there's this aesthetic that seems to go with this, like, slightly odd black metal that was coming out of this label. And that, yes, I think that was, like, early 2019. And that's where I suddenly got really hooked and started paying attention to all the new stuff the label was putting out. I yeah I think that uh, you know horrendous is interesting because that that to me is a fairly popular band that I think if you like horrendous if you like groups that really are big right now like blood incantation um, there's enough weirdness on those records to where it is that's a very if you're into those bands I think that you can transition into stuff like this and not not leave behind those bands because I I love both those bands myself um, but th- those I think those are good stepping stones into this label. Um, for me, the the album that that made me aware of this label was that Chernobog album from 2017, which was also another. I think it's another uh, artist that on on Ivoid Hanger that is kind of breaking out as well. I think actually that guy is signed to Prophecy right now, um, if I'm not mistaken. At least he has a he has a second band called uh, Drown, and that album came out on uh, Prophecy. That's a a Funeral Doom record from this year. But that was the album that got me, and it was the album cover 
that that made me mm-hmm. want, want to uh, check out this record. Um, I just saw that cover art and I was like, shit, like I have to listen to this. And I was hooked. It's four tracks. It's one hour of music. Um, I bought the cassette right after I listened to it. And then, um, you know, I eventually met, uh, came face to face with the I've Voidhanger Bandcamp page. And I think that that stayed on my web browser for like three months, pretty much. And I would just go from album to album to album to album, like listening, because I'm one of these people that can't like skip over any of them because I, I, I hate the the idea that I would miss like some crown jewel through there. Like I can't just randomly just go in and select this one or that one or leave it up to chance, you know? Mm. Um, but it, you know, would you say this is a label that you check in with like very frequently to kind of see what their latest releases are? Is it one like you're very on top of? Yes. Yeah, so, um, the, the thing I kind of noticed I've been doing with it over the last year, I think I've listened to absolutely everything they'd put out in that period since like the start of 2020. I've, I've at least, I'll always at least delve in and listen to yeah. a couple of tracks of anything new they put out because there's always something exciting or interesting about it. I'm not going to pick up every single one of them. Right. But there's all, there are always albums I'm happy exist, even if they're not totally my thing. Yeah, I mean, that's just the 2020 releases for my wedding. I, I didn't count them, but what do you think that is? Like, over 15 albums, probably, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels like a lot. Like, they're quite interesting, because I sort of went back and saw their sort of schedule of releases of, like, 2008, they put out one album, then it's, like, sort of, for the next few years, it's three or four. Yeah. And then the last three, it's just suddenly this boom of, like, each year seems to be a good 10 to 20 releases. Yeah, you know how people do, you know, best albums of 2020 list. Like you could do a best Ivoid Hanger albums of 2020 and still have like a giant pool of, of stuff to choose from. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so kind of my last question about, um, you know, this label, and uh, unless there's anything else, anything you want to bring up is like, and this is maybe the one of the harder questions to, to answer. Like, what do you think are some of the broad band or lab- artist or label influences inspirations for the label yeah but that's an interesting one because I, I do think like the the guy behind it i i guess his core of listening is that kind of um that realm of the sort of a lot of the weirder end of the norwegian scene like so i can imagine stuff like early Olver sort of playing into some mm-hmm. of what they do even even stuff like um Maybe like later Emperor, I could see having an effect oh, on it yeah. where they start bringing in other influences. I know that's that's where I'd guess his sort of music taste lies, and where like that's like sort of the core pool he's uh, drawing from. I don't know about yourself. Did you find any like clear comparison bands? It's it's a hard question to answer because um, the label, in terms of how it's curated and stuff, is very unique. I don't I don't know that there are. It's hard for me to think of label precedents other than maybe like something like profound lore i could see some kinship between the two um although they are there are quite different labels um but i think they're both vast in terms of 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 the types of artists that they that they bring in while keeping everything still at the end of the day very dark very metal um in terms of artists um and and this is obviously just based on some of these kind of breakout kind of like ivoid hanger artists that we're talking about not representative of the, of the full catalog obviously I, I can't help but think that like someone like leviathan um both in terms of music and artwork because um mm-hmm. uh, rest from leviathan does a ton of uh, artwork i definitely see i definitely can i'm reminded in some ways um i think i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these bands listen to death spell omega um 
although it's not all like windy like mathy kind of thing in fact i don't think there's like a, a, a an insane amount of that on the album uh, on the label um that that french label les legions uh, noir uh, possibly uh, maybe even a little bit of the black twilight circle stuff as a label just because that stuff is just the, the kind of more cult kind of aspect of things but it, again it's more aesthetic than anything mm. um you know actually one that's just come to mind is blue to snored i imagine oh, that's yeah. quite an, a yeah right especially because it's kind of like a one-man driven thing regularly changing aesthetics and kind of all, off, always forging kind of his own path i'd be surprised if that didn't have an influence on some of these bands here 100 percent. and and the artist from blue to snored has been making music since i think the 90s right yeah, yeah, he's got like well, the band actually have like fifteen odd albums and a ton of EPs and yeah, other and, <laughs> and a secretive stuff. artist. No one really knows much about the person. There's, I don't think their Blue Dust Nord plays live. Um, no, I don't, don't think so. Up until recently, Oliver didn't play live. Leviathan, I don't think plays live. Um, Dark Throne has never played live, so maybe that maybe that's a weird connection. Um, I don't know. Do you know? Do you know much about like the live aspects of a lot of these bands? Like, are these bands that, that so, tour uh, a lot? Of the of the ones I was looking into, there's a few that like a few that seem to have a live presence. Uh, particularly the more like death metal orientated ones. Like, I believe like stuff like Moss Upon the Skull definitely seems to have a live aspect. Uh, I mean, Panagyrus, who we mentioned earlier, there's like a short live video of theirs up. Although I think they've only just started trying to do that. Whereas a lot of the kind of spectral or mere cognitum, the one man stuff, seems to have no aspirations of that kind, as far as I could tell. At least like the interviews I read, there wasn't any kind of mention of it. So I think there's that kind of split between this label's output of the the singular vision one man stuff, and then the the more project orientated bands who seem to have a bit more of a live presence. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it seems like a lot of studio projects, and maybe one day they'll evolve into live acts who knows but you know if we're in a pandemic this is a great label for pandemic times i will say because the you're not gonna miss them playing a lot of these bands playing so you don't have to feel bad about that and the rate of release is, is just out of control so um you know i avoid hanger is uh maybe the the the, the, the label for the pandemic and uh, if I mean, the only thing you don't have to worry about is going into an even darker place <laughs> listening to some of this stuff. <laughs> but I mean, it's I think it's a label that's not overtly concerned with like, you know, human and social problems and that kind of thing. It's it's very this is very left field, very esoteric, uh, largely kind of like uh, philosophizing, you know. There was um, one other thing I wanted to bring up about yeah. this label I sort of read about, which I, I think is a really interesting aspect of what they do, is um, uh, reading interviews with Luciano was what they're really primarily focused on. Because we mentioned the band camp a few times. That was something he kind of felt pressured into doing. He always wanted this label to be a kind of a front for putting out physical media. And like the thing they are really, really good at is creating incredible like physical products for the music. Um, he's worked on nearly every album. A guy called uh, Francesco Gemili, um, who does the arrangements for the the insides of uh, like the CDs or vinyls or cassettes or whatever it is the format they're putting out. And the, every album, because I've bought, bought quite a few of the physical formats of these, every album I've got of theirs are these incredible packages. Actually, uh, Luciano is even quite happy to put out a lot of stuff on CD, which for 
kind of a pretentious label like this is quite rare. They normally, in these days especially, have moved to vinyl. But yeah. he puts out these really great um, CDs with these great, like, like gatefold kind of packages where the like a lot of the internal artwork of the album is as good as the covers. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a real um, drive for listeners of this, uh, like people who focus on this label a lot, to read the lyrics of the bands they're getting into. Like there's a real focus on giving you a package where it's really easy to get hold of the lyrics so you can sit down and experience the album as a whole with you know, something to hold in your hand and look through while you're listening to it. Right. Which I really respect as someone who is very fond of reading lyrics for albums I get. And yeah, I'd highly recommend to sort of anyone listening to this episode, if you found stuff from that label you enjoy, go pick up the physical format because there's bits you're missing if you just get the digital. Yeah, and, you know, you're going to want that album art, like, you know, like in display on your house or something. That's the other thing. Um, yeah, this is definitely like a, a label that takes good care of, of the people who... Um, you know, who are fans, fans of the label. So, um, and, and it's, it's, a, it's, I guess a European label, right? It's based out of Europe. Mm. Um, but the artists are, are, are all over the place. I mean, there's, there's quite a few American artists on here. Yeah. I think of the, like the playlist we've gone for, I think at least half of them are American, mm -hmm. but yeah, there, there's a really good, um, kind of global split or at least like, um, yeah, see, I think there's some stuff from Australia as well. So there's like a lot of European, a lot of American. Yeah, like yeah, you never know what country stuff's going to be coming from with this label, which is interesting, right? And 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 with the lyrics, I, I think most of the time they're in English, right? That, that's been my experience. Yeah, I don't think I found one yet that hasn't been in English. Okay, not I can't think of one off the top of my head. Right. Okay. Well, is there anything else we want to talk about with the label before we kind of jump into these these tracks that we picked? Oh yeah, I think I think I'm good to make a start on that. So we did, you know, the same format as the as the the last label episode I did. We decided Phil and I decided on eight total tracks. Um, we split them up four and four, and uh, there were there were no rules other than it could be anything from the label, and we don't want to double up on anything. Um, so so that so that was it. And like we said, this is. This is kind of our favorite stuff or the stuff that we think reflects the label. It could be both of those things. Um, the label is, no matter what eight tracks we play, the label is way more diverse than what we're playing at the end of the day. So, um, you know, I would say uh, if nothing is hitting you too hard, if too hard here, um, there's other stuff on the label to, to try out. But I don't, but I'd also say if nothing on, on of these eight tracks is hitting you, this, this just might not be for you. <laughs> And uh, if you're not kind of versed in, in metal to begin with, a lot of this stuff is going to be uh, very out there. Um, so, you know, you may want you may want to I don't know. I was going to say you may want to go back to the classics and work your way up. But if this stuff is speaking to you for whatever reason, I mean, do, do whatever you want, you know, take whatever journey you can. Um, but I think we're getting ready to get into these tracks. Um, uh, listeners, I hope you have nowhere to go and nothing to do for a while because these be some long ass tracks uh <laughs> and i think i was subconsciously trying to pick stuff that was like ah, if i can like really find a six or seven minute one that's preferable but at the end of the day i just you know ended up picking what what i what i think is the strongest stuff um but don't say we didn't warn you um these are long tracks but they're definitely worth every bit of your time i find that a lot of the the really long stuff from this label 
like I'll listen to a song. It'll be like 22 minutes long. I'll be like, I did, I did that song did not seem like it was 22 minutes long because it's just engaging the whole way through. Um, okay, so I think I'm up first, right? Um, yeah. So uh, the other thing you're gonna have to uh, really uh, forgive us on is uh, pronunciations. The artists on this label do not make anything easy uh, for <laughs> most of the time. Uh, so there's gonna be some struggling here. Um, so this first uh, this first track is from the artist that we've talked about a, a little bit already. This is Isak Trillium. Is that is that how you pronounce it? That's what I've gone for, but I could be wrong. It sounds it sounds smooth enough. Um, and then the track is called uh, Thar Dash Voknarg, um, and this is from an album called The Telerik Ashes of the O with the umlaut over the O. Verth Immemorial Gods. I also started off this whole episode with uh, with a, another a different uh, riff and off a different track from there. But this is uh, this is described as the on Bandcamp as the fourth most epic and most annihilating album by Francis Isak Trillium. Um, and I, another quote I have to maybe kind of give us some context for for this uh, group is, or it's a one-man band actually, is the music of Isak Trillium pushes the listener through dark tunnels and mystic portals that lead to arcane and hallucinatory places. Astagul holds their keys. And yet he's the sore prisoner of his own visions, a reluctant messenger of astral worlds beyond human comprehension. He's a sort of Abdul al-Hazred of metal. Like the mad poet of Lovecraftian memory, he has seen what, should, what shouldn't be seen and pours his experience into majestic compositions where the intricate geometries of riffs and rhythms conjure up chaos and darkness. So... Um, there is definitely some kind of muse or like... Uh, central character happening in Isak Trillium stuff. Um, do you have any, any, any like insight into, into uh, 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 Astagul, Phil? So uh, I've read a few interviews with the guy and he seems like a very interesting character. He, he has this very interesting way of talking about his work where it seems like this kind of thing he has to do. He has this like, it's it's not so much he ever tries to go into anything creating it. He sort of will just start playing and then the albums will appear from there. Uh, despite how kind of complex and well thought out they seem, they seem he seems to be very much talking about them sort of being birthed forth in that kind of sort of Lovecraftian manner where there there seems to be something something else influencing what he's doing, which it gives this stuff a great kind of mythology. Yeah. Yeah, that that is, that is interesting. Um, is do you think Astagul is like the primary character in Isak Trillium's albums, or is it m- maybe an alter ego, like behind the musician who's making the music? I'm not sure. They're one. They're one. I really need to spend more time going through their lyrics in depth because they they weren't one of the the core of this. I was super familiar with um, until a couple of months back. But yeah, I really want to spend some time going through all five of their albums with like the lyrics because there seems to be a very interesting narrative running through those albums yeah and i remember you 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 played a track off his newest album which is not this one this is a 2019 album on um when you were you and you you guessed it on uh, another metal podcast that the name is escaping me right now into the combine yeah into the combine and and you you basically the premise was um you know they want five avant-garde metal uh, albums or tracks 
to to kind of bring those guys into into your world a little more. And I think of yeah. all of all the ones you played, this was the one where they were like, "Holy shit, yeah, I could get down with this." Yeah, because interestingly for me, so their latest album, he brings in a lot more sort of melodic elements than what you would have heard in like the intro to this episode. Because mm-hmm. this this album, the one before, when I first heard it, it was actually like a bit too much for me when I first put it on. Like, it's not like the most brutal or intense thing you've ever heard, but it had such a dark atmosphere. Yeah. I found it quite uh, like quite a struggle to get through initially. Since getting into his newer one, I, like, and you suggesting this one, I've gone back to this album. And I now totally love it, and I now understand all those elements. But yeah, when I was first trying to pass this album, it just—it was like too scary almost. <laughs> yeah, and that album cover with that that big blue monster thing. There's, it's it's just it's it's really really um in, in, intense. Um, stri- it's very striking. Yeah, I really love that cover. That was one. I think it was one of the reasons I wanted to get into it. It's like I just want to like this band because. This picture is so, so engaging. Really weird, but... Mm-hmm. Well, and this... So this new Isak Trillium album from 2020, which I think is the one that's getting the most kind of, like, love from the, you know, reviewers in the music world. Um, it's... It, I would say it's a very... Um, it's a... it's a has a lot of, like, compositions on it. It has a lot of arrangements, uh, violins, that kind of thing. And I agree with you. It does have this almost melodic death metal sections like parts almost remind me of like a classic in flames like just for like a little while or something like that yeah there's sort of there's a lot more it's still a you still an intense album in, in many ways like there's a lot of like the core of the riffing still quite similar to this but you just get those little hints of melodic hooks you'll get like 20 second snippets of something really really melodic and catchy every song comes in whereas this i found it was more just really good riffs that kind of drew me back to it but yeah it doesn't have so much of those elements but the 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 riffing in this i found absolutely incredible it is yeah and and i would categorize this broadly as like uh black death or like black and death metal um and and this album in particular is is very riffy it's even thrashy at some points um and and but of course it's not straightforward at all this is not like a behemoth album you know um this is very hallucinatory and winding kind of music it breaks off into unorthodox passages and that sometimes that's the coolest part of of what this band is doing um this one in particular reminds me of leviathan um's music um especially leviathan's last like two or three albums and especially his most recent one scar sided um and and jeff from leviathan actually did the artwork for uh, one of isak trillium's older records uh, a record called inhuma which i've only listened to a couple of times i think emperor is also another touchstone with this guy if i had to guess um i find that his music is getting more melodic and more composed like we're talking like what we were saying um while still being very experimental um and uh i i it's like almost you almost feel like you're, you're you're getting into some power metal or folk metal or something if you were to judge it aesthetically although a very dark version of that um but that's that's definitely not what you're getting here um you know but the thing that i love uh, most beyond like the the kind of weirdness the cosmic weirdness and the adventure like there's the adventure seems like an appropriate word for this guy's records um is that there's so many incredible riffs this guy has like these are they're they're, they're really original riffs so they're very badass too um and uh 
I think they're shrouded in this like dense, like very left field context. But at the end of the day, like these are heavy, memorable, and very catchy riffs. Like I get, I get this guy's riffs stuck in my head quite a lot, um, and not just because it's all I've been listening to for like the last you know two or three weeks. Yeah, but I think you're onto something there. With like, there is a, a sort of inherent catchiness to a lot of Aesop Trillium stuff. Like, particularly this album has a lot of those memorable riffs. It's just like his song structures are quite chaotic and weird, but you still have those moments of like, here's just a classic head banging, like thrashy riff mm-hmm. in the middle of all this esoteric complexity. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the layering, right? Um, the, the, and another thing he Aesop Trillium does, especially on this track, is these like very psychedelic guitar leads that I think is like one of his signatures. Like he, he play he puts these on top of super chugging riffs, like in this song in the middle part of the song. And it, it sounds really fucking great. Uh, and, and, and this guy knows how to get really, really interesting tones out of his guitars, like especially on the leads. Um, it's, it's very masterful. Um, it doesn't sound too polished, but it is for all everything going on fairly clean sound. There's not too much like murk on the recordings, but the the general like mood is murky. It's just not the the sound is not particularly. I mean, this stuff could be a lot more lo-fi, you know, like intentionally lo-fi. But I think I think this guy values like uh, production. It seems. I would say of all the one man projects I've heard from this label, he is the one that most kind of masquerades as if he was a full band. Like I I was shocked to discover this was one guy, whereas some of the others. That that kind of felt about right, because of the level, as you say, the kind of the production is very like not very, but it is quite clean and like clear. It, this is certainly not that kind of bedroom black metal kind of sound, and and he's quite a masterful player, particularly his guitar work mm. is, yeah, really he has he has his own signature sound. If he was he, I don't think the guy would ever do this, but if he used to do a guest solo on another band's stuff. You'd probably recognize it as him. I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what do you think of um, his of, as a vocalist? I really enjoy his vocal work. I, yeah, I, I think it's it's not always like his guitaring is always the kind of the standout of the song. I find, but as a vocalist, he just fits the music really well, and he has that what I like in black metal a real nice amount of variation in there. But his kind of his standard kind of snarl is just. It just appeals to me. I, I enjoy it quite a lot. Yeah, he's got a very solid, nasty, like, screech. Um, but he's definitely... It sounds like he's using some effects, maybe. Or maybe mm. that's, maybe his voice is just <laughs> very, very... Uh, can do a lot of different things. I mean, he does he does the gurgly death metal thing as well sometimes when, like, the song calls for it. Um, and he was also in, very into these, like, creepy whisper chant kind of things, which just make you... Usually in those sections are like the very unorthodox like sections that come out and you're like, whoa, this is going in like I'm being transported to like some alien hell right now. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, he also he also does like a lot of these like grunts that are kind of like these tribal kind of chants and stuff like that. I think that would sound very corny otherwise, but uh, I don't know. This guy has to- total command of what he is doing. Like you're you're. You're putty in the palm of his hand when you're listening to these to these albums. I think it's very enveloping. Um, is there anything else um, we need to to say before we play this track? 
there's one bit of trivia I wanted to mention, just because I found this quite interesting, is the, the album cover we mentioned is the same guy that did the latest Mastodon album cover. Oh, no So I, I'm not quite sure how, like, clearly I Avoid Hanger's got some good connections to get someone of that level in, but it, it certainly created a striking cover that I think, uh, yeah, really sits well with this piece. It's not like the classic... The guy who did the first few Mastodon no, covers? No, it's, it's the guy Romero. who just did Emperor of Sands. Ah, and like, okay. yeah, not not the first four. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, that's cool because, you know, there's definitely... Uh, it, it, it's interesting. That means it's the... Do you, I wonder if it, on the newest album, is that the, the same guy from Mastodon as I well? I think it might be the same guy again. Oh, I could be wrong on this. Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> right, yeah. All right, well... Um, Let's let's go ahead and play this track. Um, this is Thar Valknarg from Isak Trillium. <laughs> So the first pick I went for is yet another one-man project, uh, this time out of California. This is An Isolated Mind with their debut album, I'm Losing Myself. And the song I went for was the sort of first track proper of that album, Afraid of Dissonance. 
this um, this is one of those interesting ones where I, I struggle to quite place it in terms of genre. For me, it's got elements of doom, it's got elements of black metal, elements of death metal, and then some more kind of almost like post-rock ideas going on there. This one does feel much more like one man putting it all together, but it is so ridiculously one man. Uh, Cameron Bogues, the guy behind it, did everything, including the like watercolor album cover, which is a particularly like striking but quite abstract piece. All the production, mixing, recording, absolutely everything played on this is his one thing. And the the album I think was born out of a, he's, I think he was like briefly institutionalized and is having all these like horrendous mental health crises and attempted to put all that to music in in a very striking and like kind of deeply troubling way like this is an album like it's not for the faint-hearted it was one that's i found an intense like emotional ride and it's it's one of those interesting things where there is a lot of just good riffing and clever kind of song structures in there but the core of what really gets me with this is just like an emotional punch of it like this album is something that very much puts me in a headspace and sort of takes me on a journey um and this this track afraid of dissonance um has some moments in it which just it did things that musically really surprised me in a kind of incredible way after its initial like intense intro there well not intense intro like the first four minutes of the song of this quite punishing brutal track and it gives away in this this absolutely perfect maneuver into what I believe is like a piece of clarinet music over like sort of gentle synthesizers, but the transition is one of the most perfect transitions from like heavy to like lightly melodic. I've I've heard I I, I when I first heard this song, I was utterly floored by mm -hmm. that transition. Yeah, how did you get on with this one? <laughs> yeah, I mean I, everything you just said, I I, I echo it a hundred percent. I'm so glad you chose this album. I mean, it, it, if you weren't going to choose this album, I was going to. And I was actually would have chosen this track as well. Um, this was this was my favorite metal album of 2019. My favorite one. Um, and and like you said, it's it's the emotional impact of this album that really really um, is very pronounced. Um, and it's 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 a very sad listen. Like it it really is. But it's 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 also just the an opening into this guy's personal um, you know battles with uh, what I think is bi bipolar disorder from from interviews that i've read so uh and, and and i think this is sometimes this i've seen this described as black metal and i think there's a little bit of that but this is definitely not like your 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 suicidal black metal kind of thing it's not nearly as lo-fi and it's not like miserable in the same way that like that grim black metal stuff is at all um it's it's not one note this is so varied it has so much so many dynamics and, um, I, you know, I'm assuming the, maybe these dynamics are reflecting like, uh, you know, the turbulence of, of the, this person's uh, of the artist's experience, sort of the unpredictability of like uh, bipolar disorder or any kind of mental health condition. The clarinet part is, is, is incredible, like you're saying. And I actually I, I, maybe you saw the same interview where he's <laughs> the artist said that he had bought a half broken used clarinet off of Craigslist and he just practiced like just enough to to be able to play like the part he wanted to play. Yeah, because it's a very simple piece of music, but I just, like, that, that little clarinet piece in the middle of the song was where I went from going, oh, yeah, this this sounds kind of cool, I'm kind of getting something for it, just, just suddenly going, this is utterly incredible music. And mm -hmm. and it's such a simple touch, but it's such a, 
a left field idea. And I think it's something he's saying, like, I think in that same interview, he's saying he heard it in, I think, like a Model in the Wells song where he was, they heard the use of clarinet like that. I was like, oh, I need to recreate that because that is the emotion I need. And that speaks to this guy's kind of dedication to what he's doing. He's like, well, I'm going to learn a new instrument because that's the only way to get that emotion I want at this moment in the song, which is kind of incredible. Yeah, and he had like the melodic idea before he even knew how to produce a sound out of the out of this thing, you know. Um, that is absolute dedication to to it. Um, I think the the Maldon of the Well and the Ko Dot um, thing, like Toby Driver, I think is is an influence here. So um, another thing I love about this album, I love the the clean guitar passages on this album. I think they're they're every bit as affecting as the heavy stuff. I find like I really enjoy the heavy parts of this album a lot. I think they're done really, really well. But I like I, it's almost like I can't wait for like these these softer parts that just like tear tear you up inside, you know. Um, and then I think maybe there is a little bit of like an ISIS kind of thing, um, especially like an album like Panopticon in terms of like the post metal, post rock kind of getting in. But it, it definitely doesn't feel contrived. Although I could see, you know, people like Cult of Luna or ISIS, I could I could see really enjoying this to be honest like who would, who would you yeah. recommend this to so the band it really put me in mind of but this is probably using an obscure reference to to describe it and i think actually it was this band who recommended this um there's a one-man project i believe australian called convulsing who have done a couple of albums that sound really in a kind of similar vein maybe with less of the the kind of real um clean melodic elements but it it has that kind of that kind of feel like it's I'd say it's one I really wouldn't want to pigeonhole with genre as I say it's got touches of doom death black metal so I think anyone who likes that kind of sound that had those there's a kind of core of bands I've been noticing in recent years that aren't quite uh, like they don't fit in a single genre of extreme metal and I've just sort of nebulously been calling them extreme metal there's another good band from this label called uh called Cinerous um I'm oh, sorry, called Abstractor, and their album Cinerous came out a few years ago, which I feel had some similar elements of it. It's just a, a just mm. quite apocalyptic sounding overall take on extreme metal. I think if you get any of that stuff that maybe has like a touch of a sludge influence going into death metal or black metal, any of that kind of thing, this might be where that appeals. But also, as you say, like possibly if you really like the heavier end of that, like Isis Cult of Luna sound, there's some of that in there as well. It's it's very hard to pigeonhole in terms of in terms of one genre or one band that really captures the whole sound. Yeah. But I think what differentiates this from a, almost all of the I Void Hanger stuff and a lot of extreme metal in general is how the, the deep emotional impact here. I mean, this is tough listen. Like, this is very, very entrancing and affecting in a way that Aesop Trillium is not. You know, they're just going for, they're just going for two completely different things here. So um, this is this is going to put you in a in a, in a mood. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's, and it works so well because it is entirely uh, Cameron's like one vision, and it he's re- telling this super personal story. Um, and yeah, that because he's just been able to completely craft every element of it to be exactly the right fit for everything he was after. Yeah, it has that that deep emotional effect, and I think that's why it's picked up by Ivoy Hanger because it's got the aesthetic in that much of it's a, a single, really complete vision. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, 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 and this is this is the only release from an isolated mind, right? Yeah, so um, it, what's really interesting is before that, he has, well, I don't know if it's still going as well, he has a, a kind of quite silly project called Four Hoof Deaf Pig, which um, if you're aware of the pre-Zealand Ardor band Birdmask, when he was just doing odd stuff at home by himself, it, it's got some of that to it where it's just like, I'm just throwing every music genre I can think of in a blender and putting <laughs> putting out these like mad little pieces, which are all all just kind of very, very strange, like disconnected songs, but with some interesting ideas and flows of like going from one genre to another. Mm-hmm. I listened to a bit of it earlier today. It was like it's interesting. It's quite silly, which is such a kind of. A difference to uh, what he's done on an isolated mind, which is this just deeply serious projects. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you you can't really listen to this album. I'm losing myself and be like, yeah, it's like a it's like a sick album with like really sick riffs. Like, <laughs> it, you know, if you enjoy this album, it's because you're like, dude, holy shit, that album is incredible. Like it, it really, it really just like sucks you into this you know this world that this artist created and it's, it's so moody and it's so like volatile and, and and beautiful at the same time so um that's that's certainly the appeal of this record i would recommend anybody go on Bandcamp and read read like the little reviews of the people who bought the album because they're all like they're all really really spot on like holy shit um you know a very a very affecting album i mean is, is there anything else uh, you want to say before we play this track that about covers it for me. All right, so here is Afraid of Dissonance by An Isolated Mind. <laughs>
so this next one uh, is my pick. Uh, this is a band called Haunter, and Haunter is a band from San Antonio, Texas. And this track is off of their album Sacramental Death Quelia from 2019. This track is called Spoils Vultured Upon Soul Deletion. Great track title. And this is Haunter's second full length. Uh, Phil, was there a band that came to mind after you heard this track? Yes, yeah, so I I always feel bad making this comparison, but this so much gave me like a Blackwater Park Opeth vibe. Like, yep. albeit a much kind of like, say more dark, more kind of black metal influence version of that. But yeah, it has that level of progressiveness and complex musicianship. Yep, that was the band I was looking for. And you know what? Even in their even in their Bandcamp bio, they they name drop Opeth. So um, I don't I don't think there's any embarrassment there or anything like that. Um, but it's it's definitely not like a carbon copy or anything. I, you know, I definitely hear early Opeth. Um, kind of before they went full on prog. Um, I hear some immolation too in like mm. when they get really death metal y and those really winding, kind of like uh, uh, tremolo pick death metal riffing parts. So those two bands came to mind. Um, and, and this is a, an example, one of those tracks that's like 10 minutes long, but it, it doesn't slog at all because it's, it's so interesting and, and deliberate and moving between like different movements, different sections. It's definitely progressive. Um, and I, there's a break around the five minute mark that's very dark and very melodic and, and it's a very brilliant arrangement and it's it, it kind of quiets down in a very very uh, really cool way in a, in a way that it brings to mind like the way an isolated mind is just so is so masterful at going between loud and 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 quiet but um this is not like it's progressive but this is not like a brainy kind of prog it's very dark like what you're saying um, it's definitely metal to listen to by candlelight kind of thing. <laughs> and it's not like this cavernous or like twisted psychedelic metal either. Um, it's, it's almost like it has that like regal, almost goth kind of like thing going on that like early Opeth does. Um, uh, definitely Blackwater Park vibes a hundred percent. Um, but th- this entire album is actually really phenomenal. And this is, this track in particular is the most Opethian one on the record if you, if you listen to the rest of the album there's quite a bit more um uh, experimentation happening um but i love the 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 clean tones and the quiet parts on this album there's kind of equal attention paid to like beautifully written parts and the blasty black and death metal parts um and 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 these kind of really really nice like minor key instrumental detours and seeks i don't know this is just to me like like perfect like perfect classically written kind of dark metal yeah there's it does something i really like where nothing's massively technical but it's very intricate like at most points when they're doing the heavier stuff like the two guitars will be doing something slightly different but like complementary to each other and the bass will have its own part in the mix as well where it's adding another element and it's like yeah, the, the reason like Opeth is the thing that came to mind because it'd be like a dark riff where the bass is doing something kind of interesting underneath that's all adding into this kind of concept and as you say doing these transitions into lighter moments like really well managed clean tone stuff but on top of that it's got these amazing like really quite brutal vocals like they keep the whole thing kind of grounded in 
the a real like darkness throughout like it has a very consistent atmosphere this album i really i really like that general the general tone they went for mm-hmm. and you're, you're you're a bass player right yeah yeah i play bass so i'm all i <laughs> i'm obsessed with any album where that comes out <laughs> like as it does on this yeah yeah bass with the bass player is seriously good good and very ta- very tasteful very interesting um there's a there's a track on this album that's all instrumental you know what i'm talking about it's like the third track and and, and the bass playing on that is just just incredible what's interesting and i like uh, i forgot to check the cd to confirm this looking at metal archives apparently this album was recorded as a trio with uh bradley tiffin the vocalist playing guitar and bass and obviously the vocals as well which is quite interesting because normally in a band like that where someone's you know primary focus is something else the bass often gets somewhat left out but i, I love that despite that not being his only kind of contribution to the album it's still got this huge really noticeable part in it oh yeah totally i didn't even know that, 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 that that's pretty wild and uh, I also found it surprising as bands from Texas. Again, I'm like being stereotypical. You can make any kind of music anywhere, especially these days. But um, this this band sounds so European to me. Yeah, no, like they were another one where I was like, I'll guarantee this is like uh, a really interesting Swedish project. Then looked up and oh, Texas. No, that was the last place I expected this to come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, this compared to the stuff we've got, we've gone over already. I mean, I would say this one is is a kind of just a classic. It's just like a, a very classic sound that's that's done incredibly well, and there's enough creative flourishes in here. Um, just the thing that I think they master here is is atmosphere. That's that that that's really where the where this band is is really special. I think. Um, and, and the arrangements as well. Yeah, I think they're a band who really do well, like, justifying long song lengths as well. Like, they they just fit that sort of 10-minute long, kind of hard-to-follow, like, you know, collection of you know, 20-odd riffs kind mm-hmm. of structure very well. They've, they've really mastered that as an idea. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if if, if your thing is, like, Catatonia and, and, and Opeth... Um, and, and and you kind of want something that's very dark, like I said, candlelight kind of metal is what I call this kind of stuff in a, in a good way. It's in a, and I mentioned goth. I don't think it's overtly gothy or anything like that. You don't you don't. It doesn't. This doesn't sound like Bauhaus or anything like that. Yeah. Um. But it's 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 a very uh, a singular atmosphere. Um. It's definitely it's definitely dark. Uh, stuff and um, it's just it's, it's a very very classy album. <laughs> yeah, I'm capped off by this is the first one of these. We'll bring up the the first uh, Elijah Tamu cover of uh, album cover that is who does a lot of the um, I Void Hanger artwork. His like signature painted style is very common among these, and it, it's just a beautiful fit for this. The they have these very kind of like ritualistic nature his paintings, and it just. The cover just fits so perfectly with uh, with the album. Is, the, is are there any other tracks on the on our playlist that he does as well? Uh, yeah, I think three of them have covers oh, by nice. him. They we'll just, get into it more the, with the next band. Right. I mean, it's just the odd, odds game, right? Like, we're eventually gonna gonna hit on this guy, even if we choose randomly. I, I swear he's done about forty percent of all Wide Void Hangers covers. There, <laughs> he's, wow. he's got a quite an output. Um. Oh. 
the other weird connection I was mentioning earlier, this album was mastered by Brendan Sloan of Convulsing, the band I was comparing uh, An Isolated Mind to earlier, so that guy clearly has has an ear for this, this label's general style. Yeah, for sure. Convulsing is an Amer- is American band? I think Australian band. Oh, Australian. Okay, cool. Right on. That's awesome. The all these band, all these people are kind of you know in in cahoots with one another. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. <laughs> all right. Well, um, let's let's listen to uh, "Spoils Vultured Upon Soul Deletion" from Haunter. <laughs> Oh, 
Yeah, so the, the next band we're covering is Panagyrist with their debut album, album Hirugi. I'm not quite sure how to say the album title. And the, the song we're covering is uh, Idols of the Cave. So this band is another one that sits, I'd say, quite firmly in the avant-garde black metal camp. But the um, the kind of notable thing and why I feel this band's quite a good uh, one to discuss with this label is the main uh, vocalist and lyricist of this band, Elijah Tamu, is also the kind of primary artist for this label, working under the um, under the name Iconostasis. And he does a lot of these brilliant hand-painted artworks, which were which were the thing that really sold this label to me in the first place. And this this album, uh, released in 2018, very much has one of his signature pieces on it. And this, as I say, uh, saying earlier, this was what initially sort of put Ivoid Hanger on the map for me. They're, they're a band from Chicago, and their sound is really interesting. They take this kind of, I'd say, like early Arcturus kind of influence sound where they're mixing this kind of complex but quite spacious um, black metal with these amazing, like, almost operatic choral vocals interspersed with these quite aggressive black metal vocals. And there's a really amazing interplay between them. The song uh, Idols of the Cave comes after the intro to this album, which is, the album starts with this really gentle, melodic, very very like kind of religious sounding piece and then suddenly bursts into this far more like twisted scary moment where the 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 dark black metal element suddenly comes in but mixes perfectly with the cleans and yeah i I was just blown away by the sound of this album i'd never heard anything quite like this and it weirdly treads that line where for me it never crosses into being cheesy despite having these very bombastic operatic touches to it yeah i i'd never heard of this band before so th- this was very new to me um it's something i just i never in my digging in ivoid hanger i don't know why i just never came across it um but i i you know when this came on i was very glad that we were finally getting some clean vocals because we i definitely wanted to say like not everything on ivoid hanger is growly and throat shredding so even if you're new to metal you know and, and that I understandably extreme vocals take take some getting used to um but these vocals i agree with you they sound they sound like something that almost would be sung in a church or something like they're sort of angelic and epic um very commanding uh and not cheesy which i think is very hard it's very hard to pull off both of those things um so uh i don't know did you did you hear like Something like there's someone in the band kind of providing these like very low, like almost like Tuvan throat kind of like vocals, like very yeah. low. Yes, there's a lot of interesting stuff. I, I read uh, an interview. So the, the vocal work is split between uh, David Kramer who does keyboards and those real angelic vocals. And then Elijah uh, does like the kind of, he does some cleans, but the majority of the black metal. And then apparently between them, they share these these strange chants in the background so there's this other like strange ritualistic thing often hidden in the melodies like this is a band that's really good um for multiple listens because i found there's a lot to unpick in this sound but as you say like little bits like that just hidden that you won't necessarily get on your first listen through and yeah the the amount of different vocal styles in this i was yeah amazed by yeah because i wasn't even sure that i was hearing that really low almost like pre-buddhist kind of like 
throat singing. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the kind of stuff Attila does with Sun and, and Mayhem and stuff. Um, so I wasn't even sure they were there the first time. So yeah, I think it took repeated listens for me to be like, oh, that that's like that's the vocalist. That's cool. Um, I like the riffing a lot in this. Um, it's it's very I like I like that it's black metal, but the it's very bright guitar tones. And 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 I I mean I'll be honest, like I don't really listen to a lot of metal that that sounds like this. Um, not because uh, I'm like going out of my way to avoid it or anything like that. It's just a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but. Uh, I really like the tones uh, on the song. Like almost the production reminds me of something like, like power metal, something like Inciferum. Not in sound. I mean, they don't. There's not like a folk metal thing happening here. But just that brightness in the tones. Yeah, how, pa- how powerful it is, you know. No, I can definitely see that. They like especially with that that inclusion of so much clean tone, so much keyboard, so much clean vocal. There is that nod to like sort of power metal and more traditional heavy metal stuff in here. Reading about the band, it's quite interesting. They seem to be from like a really diverse musical background as well. Whereas like the main vocalist is clearly quite black metal influence. There's brilliant bass guitar work on this, and apparently the bass player is um, a massive like math rock guy. Like that's his primary ah, influence. Whereas, that makes like, sense. Yeah, and the keyboard player is like unsurprisingly like a classically trained guy. So you've got this thing of like it's a real interesting melting pot of musical ideas. I think the general, I think uh, Elijah definitely is the guy responsible for the general um, kind of vision of the band. So his interesting element in this is he's a Chris, like quite orthodox Christian guy who's also very into occultism, and his lyrics oh. get very deep and very complex on those subjects. But he's always very keen in interviews not to be known as like the Christian metal guy. He's he's sure. He's sort of trying to break away from that while still dealing with themes of Christianity, like partially in the lyrics. The lyrics were are absolutely brilliant. I, I I was amazed by like the quality of them when I first got hold of the album. But they are they are very cleverly written. Like it's a lot of um, it, it's it's a lot of very philosophical and like. There's just a lot of words I didn't even understand. Like it's something, but it's something that that certainly warrants studying. There's interesting points he's making in a lot of these songs. Yeah, the type of lyrics you read where you need another window open on your browser to look stuff up, like every <laughs> ten seconds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Well, like you know, I, I, you you probably know this. Like in a lot of black metal not a lot of black metal, some black metal has like a fascination with like orthodox Christianity, although it it's actually quite anti, extremely anti-Christian, but they'll use the aesthetics of, of orthodox Christianity because it's so stark and like uh, and so foreboding, you know, mm. even within the within the context of Christianity. I think Deathspell Omega is a is an example a vehemently anti-christian band obviously but they use a lot of these things um and then there's that i think you know behemoth does this to some extent and then there's that other polish band that's very popular that has that the choral like orthodox batushka batushka yeah that kind of thing it's this is an aesthetic that lends itself very well and i think there's a little bit of that in this with those church-like vocals right yeah i i think yeah batushka are an interesting touchstone for for this what i quite like about it as well is like saying the lyric writing particularly for this song it seems like he's taken 
those ideas of a lot of those bands that play with orthodox Christian themes and somewhat turned it on its head. And I, the way I read the lyrics almost felt like a slight like attack or like lampooning of that kind of Satanism cult of strength ideal from a from a sure. more Christian perspective. But yeah, which I just found like a fascinating way of constructing the lyrics to this. Yeah, that is. I mean, like, why not? Atta- why not attack back? Right. Uh, that's that seems to be very like you know revolutionary kind of concept. And and the other thing is, this is not. This doesn't strike me as being very dark. Like, d- despite it being black metal and stuff, you know what I mean? They're not. They're not taking the Batushka behemoth death spell route with this. It's not shrouded in darkness the way black. The way a lot of black metal is. Yeah, I'd say it's the first of like the ones we've covered where yeah the the main emotional takeaway isn't isn't kind of like a negative atmosphere. It's a, I, I find this album a very uplifting experience. Yes, yes, definitely. This track is very uplifting, especially the out the outro is really really cool. And and I hear the mathy brain coming in the way these like tremolo picked parts are like transitioning in and out from each other. It's kind of like a dizzying kind mm. of thing, but it's not like it's not Kralis either, you know what I mean? It's not like totally bonkers. It's 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 very um uh it it just has just enough of that math part to make it very, very like compelling. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of technical, but they very much uh, keep it keep it restrained restrained in those those kind of still very melodic song structures. Yeah, hundred percent. This is this is definitely like a really good example. I'm glad you picked this because this is another thing that shows how diverse this Ivoid Hanger label is. You're, this is not all bleak darkness kind of shit. Like you, you get a range here. Uh, all right. Is there is there anything else uh, before we hop into this track? No, go for it. All right. This is uh, "Idols of the Cave" by uh, how did you pronounce? I'd it? say Panagyrist, but I could be Panagyrist. wrong. Panagyrist. That's right. Panagyrist. That sounds good to me. <laughs>
right, this next one, track five, is from uh, Chornobog, or maybe I've also seen it pronounced as Chernobog. And the track is called uh, Three Non-Existence Warmth, Infinite Natality Psychosis. Uh, and, and this is a one-man project from one named uh, Markov uh, Soroka. He is a Portland-based multi-instrumentalist, uh, mastermind, um, and, and, and this track is from uh, the self-titled uh, 2017 album Chornobog. And like I said in the, in, the, in the intro, this was my gateway into I Void Hanger. I love this album. Um, this has easily been one of my favorite uh, metal records of the past several years. I just think it's, it's, it's so fully realized and a great mix of like this twisted black and death metal, like very twisted. <laughs> and then the other pole I, I hear on this is like Funeral Doom. So it's tons of atmosphere, very cavernous very psychedelic um there's tons of reverb reverb on everything on this whole album so this is a very spacey like otherworldly sounding album um in 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 a similar way to isoc trillium but um way more space in the production way more reverb and 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 resonance um i definitely hear in terms of musical influences there's definitely like a disembowelment thing happening throughout this album i also I don't think they sound like each other, but I'm, I'm just reminded of listening to Ruins of Beverest as well. Um, another one of my favorite metal bands, um, especially the the kind of like later stuff from from Ruins. Um, so this is definitely like I would say it's fair to call this like doom forward death metal. Um, I think fans of Spectral Voice and Blood Incantation would would probably be into this band. And um, the, also the album art, the album art, it's like an alternate, like an alternate dimension version of the Grand Canyon, but like in hell, ah, this just, this just has everything like that I want in, in, in a metal album. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah. So it's, it's one, uh, another one I found because of the very striking album cover and yet another advert for buying the physical CD because it's one that, um, the, the, the square cover is cool, but the actual full folded out version is this the even more expanded landscape? And yeah, very, very like engaging cover. But yeah, musically, I, I'm quite fond of a lot of like Funeral Doom, Death's Doom stuff. And this sits kind of neatly in that vein. Like there's touches of like Evoken to this sound. Actually touches of uh, Esoteric as well. Um, and it was funny because I started listening to the album. The, it's, it's interesting you've gone for track three. Because I got two tracks in and was like, oh yeah, I think I've got the measure of this. This is kind of... One man, like, Death Doom project with a few psychedelic touches. I'm kind of getting this. And then track three just takes this left turn into this amazingly atmospheric sound. Yeah, I completely was was not prepared for what would happen on this song. Yeah, that's that's definitely the the voyage of the album. The, it's four tracks, and most of the tracks are, like, 15 to 20 minutes long. And the first two tracks are, I mean, at that point, you're you're well into 30 minutes of music. And um, they're, they're pretty similar to one another. There's just this like uh, cavernous, very like I love heavy Lovecraft kind of like hor- cosmic horror kind of thing. Um, and then this track is melodic. This track is uh, beautiful, like I would say. Um, I definitely picked the most melodic and approachable track on this album. Um, but the way the song builds between movements is it's very natural um it's very elegant i mean the track is kind of built on this very 
almost like standard post metal kind of riff or something. Almost like you know black. It almost sounds like black gaze, like but slowed down. And then um, you know it, it's almost something you'd find like it wouldn't be weird to find this melody on a Deaf Heaven album, I think you know. Yeah. But the but the but the track is is shrouded in all of these like instrumental embellishments that keep it interesting. It's very layered. It's very dense. And I love the last few minutes of this track because it has this like coda that reminds me of like something like Worm Euroboros or like Mournful Congregation. Definitely the the groups that you mentioned like Esoteric and what was the other uh, Evoking. Evoking, yes. So th- this guy, uh, the 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 man behind uh, this project, I, I mean, he definitely has a penchant for for funeral doom because he's he's definitely into this like mournful congregation, esoteric, also like maybe uh, Ahab as well. I could potentially hear that, especially on his that other album I mentioned that he put out this year, oh, or cool. um, Drown. That is very very uh, aquatic themed kind of doom but it's definitely not just rehashing what ahab does at the same time but uh uh, i i really like the i really i think this guy has a really great ear for like arrangements and mixing it up um and and there's a lot of cool people involved in this album um the uh drumming is from uh uh the drummer from a a icelandic black metal band called svardi dowdy yeah who Um, are a band i'm incredibly fond of they put out like one of my favorite kind of tr- more traditional black metal albums in recent yeah. years recently that album is so good it's i mean I, I i've been really obsessed with a lot of the black metal coming out of iceland for the last couple of two or three years it's just one of those places right now yeah yeah totally but it's also there's also someone from esoteric involved yeah in greg record. chandler the the vocalist and sort of i think like the primary member behind uh behind esoteric adds some of his absolutely amazing like he has this this really deep bellow, like he, he has quite an incredible scream voice, that guy. And yeah, so he adds a few additional vocals. Not quite sure where he is on it because this album's so sort of expansive yeah. and atmospheric. The vocals are always just like sort of wash over you to an extent. But yeah, his like it's cool to see he's involved. I was going to ask if you can if you can pick out his stuff because I I couldn't. No, I, I couldn't spot the moments. I'm afraid. <laughs> Yeah, and then it was recorded by um, uh, someone who is in the band Craft, uh, black metal band. So there, there's definitely it's definitely one guy, um, you know, responsible for this project. It's his vision, but getting a lot of help from from veterans, you know. And yeah, this is this is just a. Uh, I think this is very a very classically Eye Void Hanger album, if if there can be such a thing. And I think Isak Trillium and. Uh, Chernobog, like they're, I could see, I could see people liking really both those projects, you know. Oh yeah, I think this one is the one of all the stuff we're playing. This is one that most requires patience. You've got to be someone who can deal with that that doom sound, that like very slow burn. We're gonna sit with a riff for a while. But what I think this guy really gets right is he is a master of knowing just when to move on, like this never feels like it's dragging things out despite it's kind of you know four tracks and just over an hour runtime that is very well crafted yeah yeah this is this is uh, a, a really massive sounding uh, album and 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 this track i mean it uh, it's the only track on the album that sounds like this i'll say but um i'm very interested to see where this project uh, uh ends up and um 
<laughs> there's <laughs> I have this it's all this stupid story I have a, a someone I know who um, I was listening to I was listening to music in front of them and they asked what I was listening to and it was this and I told them oh Chernobog and they're like what and I'm like Chernobog they're like let me see like what it looks like like the letters and I looked and he's like Nacho Borg and I was like <laughs> Yes. So now, anytime I see him, he's like, "Hey, you know, you still listening to Nacho Borg?" <laughs> so uh, I always, I don't know why I have that association when I when I put this album on. It makes me laugh, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would listen. To, I would listen to a metal band called Nacho Borg. By the way, I wouldn't have high hopes, but I would listen to him. Oh yeah, yeah. You definitely <laughs> check him out at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, Phil, is there any is there anything else you want to uh, add on? Uh, with the, this the, album, this this band, I guess the only other thing like, I'd like to mention is, is the the appearance of sort of uh, I believe like an alto sax solo in the middle of this, which I think is in this count mm-hmm. like this group of songs is the first appearance of a saxophone, which is something like my friends always mock me for like avant garde black metal and avant garde metal is always the bit where it's just like we've taken normal <laughs> metal and shoved a saxophone in it. But I do really like that sound and yeah, it was definitely a moment this song where that saxophone came in. I was like, oh yes, that that is a great sound right there. It's done very well, yes. Mm. I mean and, and you've 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 probably listened to more metal with, with horns and sax than anyone than anyone else I would say. <laughs> so you yeah. know when you know when it's done in a shitty way, obviously. Oh yeah, though this was a perfect introduction of it. It was just like yeah, the right kind of melodic kind of uptick in the song. I was like, Oh that's that was a really cool cool way of introducing that. Yeah, I think we got th- three tracks on here with horns. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Well, I think we, we have two so far. We got the clarinet and we got we got the sax on here. Um, and I think, I, if I'm not mistaken, there's a third. But we'll, yeah, we'll, there's some we'll more saxophone coming. coming. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Well, let's um, let's uh, launch into this epic song. This is Chernobog with three non-existence warmth, infinite natality psychosis.
so uh, my third pick is probably one of the most epic in terms of scope albums I, I think Ivoid Hangar has put out in general. This is uh, the split album between Mayor Cognitum and Spectral Law, Wanderer's Astrology of the Nine, and the song I'm going for is uh, Mayor Cognitum's uh, Jupiter the Giant. So this is yet another sort of one-man black metal project thing, but this... This album has a very weird idea, and it was actually something proposed by the um, the label owner. So both bands, uh, Spectral Law and Mare Cognitum, have been, I think, for their entire careers, uh, I Avoid Hanger bands, both putting out four or so albums on the label. And um, Luciano came to this band with the idea of, how would you like to collectively do like your black metal interpretation of Holtz the Planet Suite? Um, and the bands basically took this away and each did a, did like a song each back and forth um, and then a collaborative project like at the end to make this mammoth two hour album which is essentially two black metal albums intertwined both by slightly different take by one man projects taking a slightly different take on it uh, Mayor Needham, the part of it I'm focusing on is a project of Jacob Brukowski, who um, basically does everything with his stuff, he, like all all the guitars, all the recording. Uh, he's a Portland-based guy, and this is, depending on how you cut it, his fourth or seventh album with the band. Um, whether you count these splits as albums or split albums, like I think it's going to be a debate for a lot of end-of-year lists. But talking about monumental scope, this album clocks in at almost two hours exactly. And goes through some sort of incredible movements in it. But it's that kind of very space-themed, lots of like um, astronomy-type references in it. And stuff that is over a very slow, long build. These songs are extremely atmospheric, often very beautiful and melodic. There is some some kind of, I guess like a point of reference would be something like Dark Space, a band who very much do slow burn stuff with that kind of cosmic theme but it doesn't quite ha have the the cosmic horror of dark space this is more it's in certain places very uplifting and other places very melancholic this particular track uh jupiter i find to be quite a quite a sad piece and it's this really interesting kind of piece in almost free movements um yeah had you come across this one before no no i i hadn't I hadn't checked this album out, but I, I knew that it was getting a lot of love from black metal and experimental kind of circles. Um, I don't know if you ever look on like rateyourmusic.com. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's basically like a tabulation of like each year's like top albums as user reviewed. And this was like consistently in the top 10, like the entire year it still is. Um, but yeah, holy fucking shit. I loved every second of this. <laughs> um, I, I, I thought it was amazing, and I, and I guess this is not the first time these two collaborate, right? There was another album called Soul. Yeah, so they had a, an album called Soul, which I think was just one half hour long track each. They they did like about four or five years back, maybe maybe slightly less than that. And this was the the reason I think the the label owner went to them with this idea it was like, well, you've collaborated before, why not this time do something monumental in scope? And and what they came up with I, absolutely astounded me. Like both bands have essentially written a great album in its own right, but the the melding of the two together 
it just uh, was incredible and there's so many cool ideas like the way this particular song opens is three minutes of pretty much just distorted guitar playing these like kind of two interlocking melodies but it just it sounds like a song in itself but there's like there's no percussion there's no vocals but just uh, like Jacob's guitar work alone can just sell anything to me he he makes these quite simplistic patterns so emotive and melodic i yeah i was absolutely amazed at this kind of black metal craftsmanship yeah and i think that's what these two artists have in common it's why they're such a great it's it's why they're such a great team so so on, on this album it's each artist tackling um a track one like one after the other and then they come together on on those last ones yeah so each each one sort of takes a planet moving their way down the solar system and when they get to the ninth uh, pluto They've done two collaborative tracks. One part one is like this long drone track, and then yeah. you have the more uplifting, more black metal song to finish it off. I'm not quite sure because these two are both people who have worked pretty much entirely alone in their song constructions. I'm not quite sure how the collaborative piece works. I I couldn't find an interview explaining that bit, but yeah, coming together in that because also both of them produce their own side of the album separately and i believe oh, wow. jacob produced the final song it, it sounds it sounds like one piece like the whole the whole way through i mean you can tell when you can tell when it's more of a mere mere uh cognitum sounding thing and when it's more of a, a spectral lore sounding thing they have they have you know characteristics if you've listened to their other stuff that you you can point out I, I agree with you on that first three or four minutes of just the guitar build up it, it sounds it reminded me of the band Kralis, um just less obtuse mm. and more like a black gaze kind of thing like you're saying it's very straightforward melodies but that just just the the flourishes the way the way the accents is just incredible it, bring, it brings to mind something like uh, the more melodic Cult of Fire stuff, or even Woods of Desolation, if you remember that band, the Australian band. Um, yeah, yeah. Kind of Black Gaze band. Very, very, like, beautiful stuff. I, I, I was going to say, uh, you know, because I'm not extremely familiar with Mera Cognitum stuff, like, before this, um, it is kind. it was kind of hard for me to tell, like, where where those influences start and stop. But I, I, can, I can pick out the spectral lore part, parts for sure, because it's an artist I'm a little more familiar with. But it seems like, would you say, like, Mare Cognitum is, is in, in their greater body of work, more space-focused than spectral lore, right? For, from what I can gather, that's always been, like, Mare Cognitum's lyrical focus is always this quite, like, astrological, like, cosmic stuff that's always been the core of what he wants to do and the like, I've, I've read interviews of a guy saying he's quite into like his computer games and stuff like that and yeah. it, it has more more of a slight sci-fi element to particularly for black metal these because this is quite raw and this kind of feels it feels like kind of very to use the stupid phrase very true black metal but then when you hear the guy behind it he seems like this this very chilled out down-to-earth character he doesn't have any of the um any of like the mysticism or affectedness you get with some of those yeah. certain artists, which which is incredible because the music is so so wonderfully like esoteric and atmospheric, but it's it's just he is just incredible at constructing these great, particularly guitar passages, but like his vocal and drum work, I find to be really spot on as well. Yeah, it's really the the only black metal thing about this are the textures and the. And the the instrumentation and the technique and 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 it kind of 
foregoes all, all the other bullshit with black metal that, that people are accustomed to. I mean, you made the dark space um, comparison and, and there's definitely like, it's definitely there, but I don't think this guy is as, this doesn't sound like you're in a black, like a hellish black hole. Like when you listen to dark space, you know, it's not like uh, suffocating and robotic in, in, in that way at all. No, it, it certainly doesn't, as I say, it doesn't have the horror at all, it, but it's far, it is far more kind of, um, yeah, like this track I found, like, it's got a certain melancholy to it, like, particularly those passages of rain, but, like, rain kind of sound effects back into the riff, like, yeah, it, it's got a, quite a, like, a, it, it's an odd atmosphere, like, I really enjoy it, though. I would not be surprised if Mirror Cognitum is also not... It, in addition to black metal, very into ambient music. It seems like the the atmosphere is is taking not just from black metal, but also just from like you know maybe Brian Eno and a lot of other like um, you know ambient kind of like spacey kind of stuff as well. Yeah, and particularly with doing stuff like a drone track at the end, there's clearly something yeah. else there. Yeah, yeah. But um, the other thing is like if you love. I th- both of these bands if you love like guitar heroics like these are these are the two best bands i think on oivoid hanger you can you can um go because they they're flashy not in a not in a shitty way like it, these guys just have uh endless endless pool of riffs like both of them mm. and, and we'll t- we'll talk more about spectral lore on the next on the next one there's a lot of like in- amazing like guitar heroics here that i, I think is amazing and, and this is Really demonstrating that I Void Hanger isn't merely a label focused on weird and like brutal metal. It's like there's a lot of me- there's a lot of melodic bands here, and there's a lot of uh, beauty- beautiful and epic sounding stuff that that pulls from all over the metal map. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I particularly know what you mean. But the guitar work's amazing because he, like, actually both bands kind of do this weird thing where they'll essentially be playing a riff, and the riff will evolve over time. And towards the end of it, you're like, this is basically a very melodic guitar solo, but it's just sort of comes smoothly out of a riff it's not like layered over the top and it yeah so that guitar heroics is so wonderfully woven into the structure of the songs like yeah i'm just amazed at how well he writes these guitar passages and how just like you could take one guitar track alone from his stuff and it's still really compelling you could take one track alone and it's like good enough for a band for a a band entire song yeah but then multiply that by eight or ten and in a way that's harmonious too. It's not. It's not just like here's a riff, here's a riff, here's a riff, here's a riff. Maybe they go together. Maybe they don't. I mean, uh, this guy uh, Jacob from from Mayor Cognitum and this and the other gentleman uh, Alos from Spectral Lore. I mean, uh, these two are like the mas- like have mastered tremolo guitar playing. <laughs> like this is you can tell that they are in love with that particular style of style of guitar playing. Yeah. Yeah. We complete with that that kind of like kind of quite thin distortion tone a lot of like um a lot of black metal bands have you can tell the guitar isn't very detuned, like possibly this is all done in standard tuning even. But it and it has that kind of it really has a one man project feel to it. It's quite um it's quite raw and unrefined in a lot of ways, but I think that really plays to its strengths. hundred percent. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um I've listened to this album a couple times since and i'm definitely going to go back to americognitum stuff and just go wild like the the the, this 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 was absolutely amazing 
Yeah, so this is one I actually I only got into this album for this podcast. Like I sort of I was like, okay, well, this seems to be the album from this label. A lot of buzz. I'm gonna gonna try mm-hmm. and get my head around it because previously I'd just been scared off by the two hour runtime. Like I'd, I'd listened yes. to it in passing. I was just like, oh wow, I need to set some time aside. But actually, once you get used to it, it's two hours that kind of flies by. Like it it doesn't drag considering that like you know since you're listening to two albums back to back. Yep, I agree 100%. It's just that initial, you pull up the Bandcamp page, you pull it up on Spotify or something, you will see like 12 tracks and you'll look at the times on them and it's like 12 minutes, 14 minutes, 18 minutes, 11 minutes, 20. And that initial confrontation, you're just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to push, you got to push past it. Because the second you press play, you're in, you know? Yeah, yeah. As as soon as you get that kind of feel for it, you're like, oh no, this is... This is wonderful. Actually, something interesting about this album, which very much plays into why I respect Eyed Voyhanger as a label, is not only was the concept something that came from outside these two individuals, the album cover is another one done by Elijah of uh, Panagyrist. And um, apparently what they went to him with is completely different to the end result they got. Like, they went to him with a very, like, science-themed kind of, like, star map cover... And he was like, actually, I've got this quite, like, esoteric idea for this concept of the the nine planets. And, yeah, totally put his own spin on it. And I think it's a really beautiful album cover that fits really nicely with the piece. But it's it's interesting to see these one-man projects having a slight collaboration with someone outside of them, but just adding to, like, a greater whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This this album cover is phenomenal. And it's this album is from this year. So this one, along with Isak Trillium's album from this year and uh, Nep- Neptunian Mac, I, I don't Maxim, remember. The rest of yeah, that. I can't quite remember the full name of that band, but the, those album covers are all just like art you need to marvel at just on their own. Even if you don't care for the music, the, the art is just phenomenal. Um, so this is um this is a label that's really knocking out of the park in like in twenty twenty especially. Is there is there anything else uh, you wanted to? Uh, comment on before we play this i think i think we can move on because we've got more to come from these bands all right yes so we got mayor cognitum this is jupiter the giant
Okay, so my last pick. This is Spectral Lore. The track is called A God Made of Flesh and Consciousness. And this is the other half of the project we just talked about. Um, Wanderer's Astrology of the Nine. So, um, you know, Spectral Lore is a very interesting project. I'm a big fan of. This is another one that kind of like the second or third Ivoid Hanger artist that I latched onto when I first discovered the label. And uh, I think I'm going to I'm going to read a quote from uh, Ivoid Hanger label owner Luciano um, about this project that I think puts it into perspective. So he says, Alos, the founder and sole member of Spectral Lore, is something like a figurehead and mascot for Ivoid Hanger. Not only does he regularly release new music with Gaglio, his work feels like the purest possible embodiment of the label's ethos. I'll walk to the cliff's edge of what atmospheric black metal can be and gaze into the abyss below. It should be required listening for anyone interested in boundary pushing black metal. So this is Luciano like really putting spectral lore up on a on a pedestal here. And I think him and um, Mer Cognitum are like you could tell like two two of the fa- label's favorites. You know, mm. they kind of have. It seems like they've grown up with the label. You know, come into popularity along with the label at the same time. So this track is from uh, Spectral Lore's 2015 album. Um, so whoa, we're going back all the way back to 2015 now. We're starting to get a little a little old because <laughs> almost everything we've talked about is in the last year or two. You know. Yeah. And uh, this album is called Gnosis, and and uh, this is another one man band. <laughs> which like man there are just so many control freaks on on the ivoid hanger roster and i mean that as a compliment um and 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 this is a greek band actually um and and this is definitely atmospheric black metal there's no doubt about it but there's there's a lot of interesting experiments that are happening from album to album what did you what did you think of uh, uh this track this track this extremely epic uh, guitar hero kind of track. So yeah, this this was something that followed on so nicely from having heard uh, heard them before on uh, Wanderers. Like it's just this felt like uh, what I really liked about it is it's a fifteen minute long song, but it's at its heart it's just a black metal riff fest. It's just great riff after great riff. It, he's got a really good sensibility in like his production and choice of guitar tone. But at the core of it, it's just really, really good riffing with, like, moments of, as you say, like, those kind of, like, real flashy guitar hero moments buried in there every so often. Yeah, I fell in love with this one instantly. Yeah, this one is for, like, the, the real old-school metalheads, I think. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is the most leather jacket, like, put-up-your-fist kind of song of the whole bunch. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm, gl- I'm, I'm glad we got, we got one of those tracks in here, because... I mean, like we said with Ivoid Hanger, it's it's definitely pushing pushing the limits, um, experimental. But um, you know, it's never also never forgetting that this is heavy metal, um, and it's okay to be like a, a caveman a little bit, you know. Um, so I, you know, I love this track too. Um, I love this record. You can tell that this is heavily influenced by like Middle Eastern and Greek melodies yeah. and instrumentation. Um, it's very infused into the the scales and the melodies um, uh, of this particular type of black metal, um, and and it doesn't also sound like a throwback to like the other Greek Hellenic like black metal stuff, you know, like Rotting Christ, Verathon, Thron, that kind of thing. Although I'm sure this guy is like super influenced by that stuff as well. But you know, like you said, this is a masterclass of black metal guitar riffing, and it's not. Like in the Venom style, where it's just three riffs the whole song. This is, 
I, I couldn't. I can't even count how many riffs are in this. It, it's just. It's also like amazing how he layers these like melodies on top of one another. I think this is something he has in common with Mare Cognitum. There's this like clean bridge break in the middle of the song, and the track kind of builds into this like very grim black metal. And you're like, this happens nine minutes into the song. Um, and, and it's almost at that point, it feels like the song is just starting. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like every, everything that happens before that is very consequential and interesting. But it, it's like finally starting to get going like as like a metal song. And, and I think that that requires a lot of patience, but it's also an amazing technique. Um, this, the, that part of the song kind of moves towards it moves from like this Eastern inflected black metal into what I don't know. It sounded to me just like mayhem style, like grim worship with those like crunchy riffs and um that kind of like icy kind of like you know that like norwegian icy like black metal thing like he throws that in here too well like you were saying how he doesn't sound like a greek band like that that moment particularly yeah you say it's suddenly like frostbitten like black metal the core it doesn't it it doesn't really conjure the idea of like a greek climate (laughs) no it doesn't and uh yeah, yeah, and I, and I think that's true, and I think I think you get the Greek stuff from the from the melodies, from you know, from from Middle Eastern melodies, from from those types of scales that are played on Greek Greek instruments like the bazooka and stuff like that. But I, I think this guy is like I, I don't understand. He's so underappreciated, like in in the world of metal. I don't I don't hear that many people talking about him. Maybe I'm just not looking in the right places. But uh, this guy can churn out riff after riff after riff. It's it's an endless well. Maybe they're not like insanely creative like like breaking new ground kind of riffs but they're just they sound like riffs i've never heard before but in a context that's so familiar mm. and, and i think of, of all the stuff we've listened to this this is definitely the most overtly heavy metal and 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 this is something i, I would recommend to like any fan of metal like people who are stuck in the 80s and just want like merciful fate and battery i think they'll love this People who are into progressive and avant-garde metal, I think will appreciate this. And even people into like the grim cult black metal shit, I think they'll appreciate this too. Like this this can go this can land a lot of different ways. Yeah, you're quite right. It's, it's interesting spectral lore. Like I guess they they seem to be on the verge of suddenly breaking out, but they have been at it for so long. Like according to their metal archives, they have four albums, six splits, and three EPs, which sounds like a lot. And then you remember the splits are like these two-hour-long projects like Wanderers, this is technically an EP at 50 minutes long, apparently. Like, <laughs> So, like, in this course of about, like, I think he's only been going about a decade, he has put out somewhere in, like, the realm of 12 hours of music, and the three hours or so I'm familiar with is all incredible. Yes. And he has other related ar- bands, too. He has other bands. He has another oh. band on... On this label, I void hanger called Mistras or something. I could be I could get that wrong, and it's medieval, like influenced black metal that is like deliberately anti-fascist at the same time. <laughs> so I, I only listened to like a couple of tracks. It, it sounded really interesting. It sounded really cool. Very lo-fi though. And the other thing is like I I think would you call this like production? Like this is pretty low like lo-fi quality. I yeah, it, it's got that raw quality that you kind of you'd expect in that kind of like slightly Norwegian worship kind of stuff. It has that bit of trying to capture some of that early dark throne, like Transylvania hunger guitar tone. I think both them and Mare Cognitum have a bit of that, but spectral lore is the one that feels like really kind of like 
not in a bad way, but it's that, that thinner tone, that more like ethereal, slightly see-through kind of tone. It's a hard thing to describe, but yeah, it has that that roughness. It's not like a, a huge, chunky sound at any point. Even the drums have a quite subdued yeah. nature to them. It, it really works for this project. And and the other Spectral Lore albums really, really differ like from project to project. They're all they're all like their own contained worlds, um, but w- what you get consistently is this just like this just riff fest and and these I'm just astounded at, at at the riffs and the tremolo picking just like I was with the Mirror Cognitum I'm just like oh this is just this is tickling my like primal metal guy like itch but it's also just so grand and epic and like uh, t- transporting to another world it's it, it, I would say. Sp- Spectral Lore's music seems more like in the old world, and Mercognitum is like in other other worlds, you know? Yeah, I think that's that's a really good way of putting it. So I was going to say, do you, do you have a physical copy of this album? I don't know, do you? No, but it's something that I noticed in the research for it, which is kind of interesting, of like, it sort of looks up in Metal Archives to get the dates and stuff. And although this album, to me, sounds like it's mostly instrumental, every single track on it has full lyrics there. So I don't know if there's like a load of poetry that goes along with this that isn't necessarily in the songs. Like this this particular track has some kind of like very low in the mix vocals in it. But like the first track of the album definitely mm-hmm. doesn't have vocals. But there is a full like selection of lyrics to go along with it. So it's one of, I've, I've ordered the CD because I want to see what like, what this relation, like why there is these poems going along with these songs but it's a cool concept anyway to like sort of add that idea in as well yeah that's interesting i wonder if i wonder if anyone out there would know the answer to that um you know if so email email either of us and let us know yeah yeah um, <laughs> that is that that is super interesting and that's cool that's i don't think it's anything i've ever even heard of before but i, mean, I would say vocals at least on this album they're kind of sparing like they're He's letting the guitar do guitars do a lot of the talking most of the time. I, like I, on like first listen to this album, I ha- I couldn't remember whether it was instrumental or not when I got to the end, and then like sort of going for it again, focusing. I'm like, oh no, I'm pretty <laughs> sure this things I would I'm sure are a human voice, but they are buried low in the mix. It is yeah, as you say, the guitar is doing all the work. This is yeah, the guitar is takes center stage on this a hundred percent. It's meant to be that way, I'm sure. It's a completely deliberate decision. And when you have these kinds of chops, like yeah, I think yeah, that's the thing you probably want to lead with. But mm. um very cool project. Um I, I like that that this that this guy collaborates a lot. Um and yeah, like I mean, I mean it's a, just another I Void Hanger artist where you're like, How how is one person doing all this? And how are they doing it? This frequently, and how is the quality still so high? It boggles the mind. Yeah, it's definitely one that um, both of them are Mayor Cognito. I'm quite committed now to... I'm going to go backwards through their discography because everything I've found by both so far is at least given like something I really enjoyed in it and if not been absolutely incredible. Yep, same. And I'm going on an Ivoid Hanger shopping spree like... Very, very soon, too. <laughs> like, yeah, the research and, for this and, episode has already cost me about £100, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Just a whole shopping truck cart full of, like, uh, he says these get better when you've got the, the CD with it, so I can't wait to improve this experience I'm already having. 
it's 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 all for it's all for the love of uh of the music of course um so i mean if you loved anything you heard here definitely like try and support the label as much as you can get yourself a tape or a cd or a vinyl usually they have all three mm. um a lot of the time depending on what your format is or buy the digital you know i think a lot of this stuff is available on streaming as well but you know obviously you know if you can afford it try try and pick some of the stuff up and physically because you're gonna like phil's saying you're gonna get so much more of the so much more of the stuff that doesn't present itself with just a stream yeah yeah and it's just it's where some of the craft of this label goes like i like that it's a label still realistically based around the idea of making good physical media which is is an extreme rarity at this point in time especially for a label that really you know got going proper in like 2015 yeah well into the age of spotify and so on okay um let's let's get into this track then this is spectral lores a god made of flesh and consciousness
Okay, so my fourth and final pick for this uh, is uh, the third album by the Massachusetts band In Human Form. Uh, uh, and this song I'm playing is the, the opener to this album, another mammoth 15 minute long song, Apocrypha Carrion. So this is quite a departure from pretty much everything we've played so far. This band are, for an avant-garde band, something that really struck me about them, this is often a thing with avant-garde music, is although it embraces a lot of progressive stuff, it's not always the most technical, it's not always the most um, instrumentally flashy. It's about clever song structures more than it is sort of incredible use of technique. In human form are kind of the other side of that, where they do avant-garde by virtue of being absolutely masterful musicians. Like... You, from the opening moments of this song, you can hear these guys are people with jazz and classical training, and a lot of that is coming into their brand of black metal. And where Spectral or America and Eatem have these these kind of more thin, raw productions, uh, in human form, have this particularly on this album this massive, thick wall of sound. It's it, it's very slick, very polished stuff. Um, but still with a, a core of still being a black metal band. And yet another band that um, what really sold me on them was the lead guitar work. This album features some of my like favourite solos in recent years. These, Particularly this song, actually, the, the first like guitar solo about three minutes into this. I was absolutely floored when I first put it on. I just couldn't believe the kind of the the beauty and like amazing melodicism of the playing they're a band that you know center their music around solos but not in a self-indulgent way they're just these these great crescendos to any given section but on top of that there's really interesting ideas going on and moments of quite high experimentation but then comes back to something more melodic more hooky so how do you come across these guys at all no, I had never heard of this band before. Um, and I was reading up on them kind of before. And I, I was expecting like, you know, 70s prog and like extreme metal, like a kind of fusion between the two. You know, I definitely I definitely hear those hear those things colliding together. Um, I love the vocalist of this band. Uh, he does like everything right. Um, very, very solid, like high pitched scream. And um, this track is just like a, a journey. It's amazing. And it's amazing how like fast, how fast it is like the whole way through. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't really let up very much. And, and when the saxophone comes in, I was like a little bit taken back, not because it's saxophone. Because I, I think at this point, you know, if you're adventurous metal listener, we're used to hearing like horns and all kinds of other non-metal instruments kind of coming in. But usually sax playing in metal is kind of like, it's either like understated and then like kind of like in the, you know, it's not like taking center stage or it's like maybe this extreme, like free jazz kind of Peter Bratzman style thing. But this was like very tasteful, very melodic, like almost like dad rock kind of sounding saxophone <laughs> <Yeah>. or something. <laughs> I think, and it was awesome. I loved it. It's yeah. like almost cheerful. You know what I mean? Yeah. This, this band do have actually a running theme of whenever they go into a solo moment, be it guitar or be it saxophone, it's this kind of thing that brings a smile to the face. It's very, yeah, very melodic, like very much the kind of, yeah, the happy moment of a given song. And it's sort of later tracks in the album. You yeah, like sax- Bruce Springsteen, yeah, like yeah. E Street Band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> While still somehow being black metal, it's, it's an interesting sound. Mm-hmm. 
It's something you were saying about the vocalist being really interesting. There's an amazing moment in this track, about five minutes in, where his core of his vocal performances is quite sort of fairly traditional, but very well done, like, black metal voice. But halfway through it, he turns into this, like, modern Dossimes guard sounding, like, bizarre pirate <laughs> voice. And it's it's just so totally out of yes. the blue. It, it's, it, it's part of how this song has so many surprising movements. And that's who I would recommend this to, like fans of Dotheim's card, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely got some of that to it. But then, actually, I think there's enough of the kind of melodicism and technical expertise that you could even show this to, like, the slightly more open-minded Dream Theater fan. There is, more so than anything else we played, there is that level of, like, this is just really expertly played music. And something, like, I think more so than anything else we've looked at, a band who repeat this stuff live. They are they are a five-piece who can play these songs in full, despite their monumental run times. Like, there's a great YouTube video of them playing the closer, uh, Canonical Detritus, from this album, which is a 20-minute long song, performing that live, and, like, technically perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. So you know this band is, like, also has it together on the on the live front. I, th- I was also thinking when I was listening to this, I was like, you know those people who are like into metal, but they're like, I hate black metal. Don't ever recommend me black metal. I would recommend someone who really hates black metal like this, because I think this is black metal that they can get down with. You know, it stands very different from like something like Spectral Lore, for example, where it's like really indulging in those black metal, like classic kind of uh, themes that, 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 that we like. But um, this is this is doing something different in a black metal context, and I think I think it would appeal to heavy metal fans, progressive metal fans, like uh, a, a lot of different crowds. Like this, this is this was this this is like the scope of something like this. I think is <laughs> insane, and that's saying a lot for the last eight seven bands that we've gone through. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's, this is an album I really wanted to have in there because it's so different to sort of anything else we've covered it really shows the scope of stuff i void hanger recruit because this isn't like this singular vision thing it is a a collaborative project and something with a scope far outside of you know just doing studio projects like it shows they do also support that i mean it still has a lot of the i void hanger kind of tropes of beautiful album cover that really fits the piece like um a lot of very in-depth like esoteric lyrics like a a lot of kind of Mm -hmm. uh yes like very intense spiritual stuff in there i don't know maybe not so much spiritual but like lots of thinking about the human condition and so on um and yet and yet another brilliant like in-house guy working on the album so dave kaminsky one of the two guitarists also engineered and mixed the album so it's, it's very much a band who they clearly knew exactly the sound they wanted and you know mm-hmm. were able to do it as just the five of them yeah it's like i avoid hangers just gets these bands that are so diy but they're not diy to the point to where they want to have their own label to put their stuff out on necessarily like they want to be housed under under a label but everything else they either do themselves or they're doing within this like circle of artists and in the I Void Hanger family that like help each other out with artwork, help each other out with mastering and stuff like that. Like it would seem if you're a I Void Hanger band, you have a lot of immediately you would have a lot of access. I mean I'm just presuming. You'd have a lot of access to like all these different like artwork, engineering, mixing, like all all this kind 
these kinds of things because you're like you're saying we brought this up throughout this whole episode you're seeing a lot of the same names just keep coming up in completely different bands yeah yeah they, it does seem to what i really like about i void hanger is it really does seem to have that kind of like family aspect to it there's like their rosters seem to collaborate a lot. They seem, despite it being a label of primarily studio projects, it does seem to be a lot of collaboration and a lot of communication between its roster, which is is really cool. Yeah, it's really cool because then they're all feel connected to each other in in a, in a way um, of being this whole big family. But they're also like probably more way more likely to be familiar with each other's work if they're all on the same label. I imagine if a band is on a label, they're more apt to check out the bands on that label that they're like label mates with, right? Mm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Cool. Well, uh, is there anything else we want to mention about this Inhuman Form track we got here? I think that about covers it. Oh, the one thing I, I always have to mention with this band is the name is Inhuman Form, as in in the word, human the word, form the word, because it's really hard to Google if you get any of those wrong. If you put Inhuman together? Yeah, yeah it won't come up. <laughs> Yeah, there's probably another band called An Inhuman Form anyway. <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- this is a very, this is, I think, the longest track of the bunch. So um, I was thinking we could go out on this one. Um, so uh, we will go ahead and do that. So to my listeners don't, and your listeners, whoever, don't you dare press pause or quit this episode. Uh, after our closing, you need to you need to finish this thing out. You've made it this far anyway. Um so we did it, Phil. Yes. Um, <laughs> this was a, mar- a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a, a hell of an episode. But then this this felt like such a massive topic to cover. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. Um, I think I was initially toying with like, well, we each pick five or six tracks. And I was like, nah, I can't do that. <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't know. I think we gave people like a pretty decent sampling of what a label like I Avoid Hanger like brings to the world of metal and music as a whole. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think there's the only there's only one sort of subgenre they do that I don't think we really touched on. Of Actually, they do have a, quite a few bands in like the experimental grind vein as well like a an album i bought recently by oh, a band called yeah. i think called xylefia or i can't quite pronounce the name but like yeah there, there is a bit of that as well but it, it, none of those quite made it into my four but so that there is something for every branch of metalhead in here yeah and we didn't I mean, we touched on a little bit of death metal, but probably not as much as this actually on the label. Mm. Maybe maybe what we can do is put together some honorable mentions or something, and I can put that in the description of the episode to try and get get some grind and some death kind of influences. I mean, there's another album that I... You might be familiar with it. It's all classical instruments. Oh, yeah. that uh, it was Is that the <laughs> Onkos? Or I'm not quite sure you yeah. say it. Yeah, that's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, because it sounds metal, like the music but it's there's not a, any i don't think there's drums or guitar on any of that any of the records i think it's, it's like entirely like sort of acoustic guitar chanting and then like sort of like some kind of hand percussion throughout like yeah it's it's weird stuff while still remaining ext- extremely evil yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um you know i i think that you know i void hanger this is probably not a rabbit hole that many people are likely to gravitate to but if you're interested in heavy music and kind of the outer reaches of it, I think this is one of the most singular like curations of music you're going to find this label, um, along with with a few other labels out there. Um, so it's a, it's definitely a rabbit hole that will take a lot of hours up, but um, 
you know you could just pick an iVoid hanger release at random when you're going for a walk or working like your boring job and and I, th- I find this music really consistently like transports you to a very bizarre place so phil thanks so much for for slogging this out with me um where can we get uh the podcast your podcast and um you know, do you have any episodes coming up that you want to tease out to people or anything else that you want to promote? Yeah, so uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's amazing, like, as I say, like, I had this episode, sort of a variation of this episode in mind. So when you hit me up, it was, yeah, really cool that, yeah, really cool to be involved. Um, yes, yeah, so if people want to find the podcast, it's Phil's Breakfast Metal. Um, it's on all the, the usual sort of podcast apps. And if you want to get in touch, like, you can contact me at philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com say like stuff like if, if any of you can explain what is going on lyrically on gnosis i'd be really interested to to know the history of that <laughs> yeah. or even just hit me up if you've got other recommendations of i avoid hanger stuff because i've been starting to work my way back but there's like a hundred releases on the label so it'd be great to have like yeah someone mention some others we may not have may not have come across yeah well they're you know that i think they're far more likely to to come from your audience than mine but yeah. I, I don't want to presume um you know i don't know how many of my listeners are into metal at all but um you know it's an undeclared mission of this podcast to nudge people into the direction of extreme metal and i honestly think your your podcast phil's breakfast metal is it's among my favorite of the metal focused podcasts out there um especially if what you want out of a podcast is to learn about new bands um, and, and sort of taking, I, I really like the episodes where you take really deep dives into single bands too. I, I, I always appreciate those, oh, whether I'm familiar well. with the artists or not. Yeah. Um, any, any parting words before, before we get out of here? Oh no, I, I think that about covers it. Basically. Yeah. I think the main, the main takeaway from this one is buy some physical media to support the artists. That seems to be, uh, mm-hmm. the primary mission statement of I'd void hanger and saying I definitely support. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've just brushed at the amount of like work and dedication that goes into this label, just as people who are not on the inside at all. So just, it's probably times 10, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I'll definitely link in the, in the description, a link to uh, Phil's uh, podcast. Um, please subscribe to it, uh, rate and review it. If you're, if, if, if you're feeling it, of course, and I'll also link to the iVoid Hanger um, website, Bandcamp store, so you can go direct into there. And yeah, that's going to do it. Um, everybody stay safe. Uh, please, uh, you know, the, theme, the morals of this episode, get into psychedelic metal. Uh, take LSD if you have to, and you don't have to either. Um, don't be intimidated by 24-minute tracks. Embrace your inner Lovecraftian heathen. <laughs> And uh, my, my takeaway is worship the riff. <laughs> well said. <laughs>